Blog Talk Radio. Doctor, come on in. Of course, he's a motivational speaker, community activist, and media personality, telling it all, all the time, telling the truth. He's Dr. Lee Bell. And, Doc, uh, Merry Christmas to you, and I hope uh, your holidays have been well, and a Happy New Year to you early. Well, thank you very much, L.A. Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, and the best in the new year for you, your family, and your listeners. Absolutely. Doctor's in the house. Doc, I wanted to have you on this this, this evening, and, um, you know, so much has happened um, in our communities. I mean, if you just look at those who we lost, we, we the new term is rest in power. I mean, some of the notable uh, black people we've lost, um, you know, in, in sports and otherwise, you know, the... Uh, if you didn't, you know, and then, of course, we've lost people um, to, you know, fatalities, um, fatal deaths, COVID, law enforcement uh, killings. Um, it's, it's just this has been probably the most or I'm asking you, has this been the most sobering, the most uh, somber, um, yet maybe a glimpse of hope? with some things coming out of it. Assess the year uh, from that standpoint. Well, L.A., let me say the year has been hell in a handbasket. As you intimated, we have had some very notable people and energy that has been transformed and died this year. 
not to mention those who have succumbed to the coronavirus, but also the ills that are inherent in our community. Racism, injustice, genocide, and we could add a lot more to that list. But it's been a very challenging year, to say the least. Challenging and as, indeed. And as we put this 2020 to bed, we are encouraged by our ancestral parents to keep our eyes on the prize. We look back to see the grace that we've witnessed in our lives, and we look forward in faith. All is not lost in the year 2020. I did see a very humorous meme that that will take you back to your youthful days, I'm sure. There was a bottle of spirits, and the label simply said, MD 2020. <laughs> yeah. It's... it's it's just been I don't even know what the the, the term is in terms of um, how bad it's been, how remarkably bad it's been. Doc, have we learned as a people in not just, you know, strength in numbers, it does take a, a village to raise a child. You know, th- those are those are old um uh, Terminologies we've heard, you know, um, you know, uh, over the, the the time that we've been here in this country, going way back to the Middle Passage, just understanding that. But have we learned from the increase of deaths due to law enforcement uh, that's been polarized through social media, um, the four plus years? We've had to deal with the guy who's currently occupying the White House and the rhetoric that takes place, the the venom that uh, came to more surfaces, if you will, from that. Uh, are we getting better at understanding that coming together in your opinion? You're always going to have the Stacey Dash and the 50 Cents and the Steve Harveys and all these people who have an agenda, the Clarence Thomases that, that – they're always going to be in our race, but are, are we doing better to understand that we can do better? We, if we stick together and put forth an agenda, that's going to be a policy that's going to help uh, our our communities. La, enthusiastically, I can say yes. I believe we have learned that lesson, but the proof will be in the pudding. In the last few months, we have had some very great gains, if you will. People coming out to protest some of the injustices that we suffer on a daily basis. Not only black and brown, but even other ethnicities. They have come to the table. 
And my hope is that there is a jail there that can keep the momentum moving forward. We have some challenging days ahead, without a doubt. But arm in arm, moving forward with a conscious, moving forward with a conscious, deliberate goal. I believe we can build on the gains that we have had. But the next coming months will truly be a challenge. And if we can get through those months, I believe we will once again see a government for the people, by the people, and undoubtedly benefiting the people. Just joining us, we're talking with Dr. Lee Bell, motivational speaker, media personality, and community activist, uh, uh, a dominant figure in, in its own right uh, here on the Vassar News Radio show on the Vast News Radio Network, WCOM, uh, and Chapel Hill and Carborough. Um, uh, Dr. Bell, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, this arm in arm, uh, you know, coming together in that in that realm. We've seen the John Lewis's that that passed on, and and what he meant uh, in his day, and even in today's day. But this this young movement is is different, and in a sense that we haven't seen it since John Lewis was a young guy marching, and you know at Washington, uh, the the I Have a Dream speech there with with Dr. King, you know nineteen twenty year old kid. We haven't really seen that in some decades, Doc. It, we we kind of got away from it. And I blame um, elder people who are older, myself included, where you could teach some other people and maybe we aren't doing enough of that. These young folks don't, they ain't trying to hear nigger. You're not trying to run them over. You're, you're not going to, they go, they ready to lay it down. So it, how do we bridge that? Because we still have, you understand that doc, you, you wanted the, the few people on, on, you know, that have to, you feel you have to kill them with your mind. Um, kill them at the ballot box and all those things, but you do have a vocal, not angry, militant young people, but a vocal um, young people that are vocal and they get, yeah, I got to get politically connected as well, but we're going to be on the streets. We're going to do it by any means necessary. So how do you bridge those old heads that think, well, you need to tone it down and why are they burning down this and why are they doing that to this new movement that uh, young people understand if I'm not in the streets, guess what? I could be on social media every time a cop kills somebody, every time the guy occupies the White House does something uh, against us, every time legislation goes by, I'm putting that on social media. That's my way of protesting. That's, I, I don't have to be in the streets. I could do it that way. So how do you bridge all that together, old and the new? L.A., I believe that it requires a coming together, a give and take on both ends from the, I'll call us old heads. (laughs) We have to to be strategic in what we do. We have to allow the new leadership to emerge. Also teach. And from the new 
leadership. We have to get their hearts and their minds. I believe the young energetic leadership is in peril of burning themselves out. From us old heads, we can hopefully temper their energy, highlighting the fact that this is a long-distance race. True change comes over time. Right. You mentioned the late John Lewis. He had been in the civil rights arena for a long time. And it takes that steadiness to truly get lasting wins. And I, when I say that, I think about the white folk who waited over 50 years to turn back some of the gains that we previously had won. We have to develop that same doggedness, keep our focus, keep our shoulders to the wheel, and learn to play chess as opposed to checkers. Dr. King and his compadres, they made significant changes in our world because, in part, they changed some laws. You can't legislate a man's heart, but you can outlaw hate. And if we think about building movement, the foundation has to be a solid foundation, and solid foundations are not built overnight. We can learn from those soldiers who have gone on to glory, read about them, study some of their tactics, Read as much as you can on what they endured and how they endured. When we think about the young energy, the new emerging leadership, my thoughts automatically go towards the Black Panthers for self-defense as well as Malcolm X. They were firebrands. They had that great energy, but they're no longer with us. So there's some things that we can use and find looking at other people's stories and other people's histories. And that has got to be paramount for us as we venture into 2021. You know, Doc, you 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 touched on a a, a lot of points. Um, it'll be interesting to see the compromise, um, because with all due respect to us, fifty plus, let's say, um, maybe forty plus, forty five, um, we could be some hard heads, and and a lot of us, I know myself, I I think about myself, I raising kids, you know, I you know you. 
I don't want, you know, I know you, you know what's best, but I really don't want to listen, you know. Um, so it'll be interesting how that dynamic works out in this Biden administration moving on. Speaking of which, we talked about, or at least I mentioned, we always had the the Judas, you know, the the um, Uncle Tom's and you in our our race, and and always have been doing the work of the master. Well, some of our allies we have to be careful with moving forward, too. And this is not anything new. Um, you know, you know, Dr. King warned about the, the moderate. You know, I think we need to worry about the quote-unquote liberal right or progressive white. Because um, you, you get situations where some people deem that they are until they can fall back on their whiteness. I mean, no disrespect to, to, I'm not saying everybody, but um, that seems to be an issue. And the other part of it is Democrats still, you know, playing deadly politics you know, even I'm sure in the uh, Biden administration, whether let's just say they don't win the two Georgia seats and take back the Senate. So you got the Senate. So you got Mr. Magoo, a.k.a. Mitch McConnell still in charge. Um, And then you have Nancy um, Pelosi in in the House. Uh, And and there's going to be those inner battles there. Um, Even with Doc, with the the COVID relief, you know, the, the the guy occupying the White House, you know, he wanted to increase the thing to two thousand. Congress went along with it, knowing that Miss McConnell is going to veto it. And see, that's the kind of thing that I concern myself about because they know it's not going to pass. So don't start those games. I know. I mean, they all play games. I, I'm not saying they don't but if they're going to play the same kind of games with people's lives people hurting you know flint all over places all over the the urban areas poor whites blacks hispanics everybody need the money unemployed um can't pay their bills if you're going to play the same game as mitch mcconnell then that don't make you any better and that's what biden's going to have to be concerned about and that's what you know the dr bells and 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 other leadership that I I respect and hope will put pressure on the administration and and the Congress to do the right thing. Well, L.A., I truly agree with you. I most often use the analogy when I refer to white liberal Democrats. I spell that with three Ks. Because I believe ultimately that that Democrat playing a dual game, right. not necessarily representing the black-brown faces in their districts, but the ultimate goal is to keep white right. For convenience sake, they'll put a D before their name. But if you want to find out how progressive and liberal somebody truly is, let them legislate reparations. 
let them legislate equal education. Let them educate community reinvestment dollars. A question for you, how can you get community reinvestment dollars when there are no banks in your neighborhoods? When number 45 started the enterprise zones, they were originally supposed to enhance the lives of the urban dwellers, us. So if that's the case, how does the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers move to Detroit and benefit from the enterprise community? Last time I heard, Detroit was the nation's blackest and poorest city. Are there no black entrepreneurs in Detroit that should be benefiting from those dollars and that legislation? So we as activists, we're going to have to put on multiple hats. If you are not physically able to be out in the streets, secure the phone numbers emails of those folks that are representing you locally, statewide, and on the federal level. Coming out of this 2020, it's all hands on deck. People need to find out what their talents are, where their passions lie. There's a role for everybody as we seek to make this a more perfect union. And start grooming your children for the fight that's happening now and the ones that are coming. Because number 45 and his minions aren't going away quietly. And he's going to make a ton of money, too, um, with uh, Newsmax being a competitor of Fox and, you know, that, that type of thing. And you, I, I just I, – you are always spot on, Doc, um, with this. Um, all that money that was supposed to go is either um, just white folks helping white folks. There's a lot of nepotism going on in these communities. There's a lot of I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. You know, they don't, we don't look like them, so let's keep them out of the club. And, and, and that's where we have to be engaged. We have to be engaged. With that money coming in, where's the money going? Put it out there. Use the press. Be on, be on it. Um, the, the, the fact is we don't have staying power. I was watching a movie, and it's truly – Correct, Doc. It, we've gotten better, right? But, you know, two things. You know, Chris Rocket said before, you know, if you want to hide something from black folks, you put it in the book, number one. Number two, the movie was a, it was based on, you know, it was, it was fictional, but it's really true life. The a kid got shot, come from a nice neighborhood, driving a nice car, 
did all the things he was, he was he was supposed to do, license registration. They asked for him to reach over there and get his seatbelt off. He moved too fast. They shot him. And we had the 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 pastor and telling people, you know, you know, justice, no peace. People ready to protest. And the white mayor said, just wait them out. Wait them out. Just wait. They'll get tired. They'll get frustrated. They'll go about their busy lives, you know, which is another setup. And it'll go away. Because well, they organize. Well, we, get angry. we get angry. They organize when something happens yeah. in their community. At the start of the Flint water crisis, the emergency manager basically uttered those very same words that you just shared with us. Give them three days and they'll go away. We have to find a way to look at the long game. Fast food will kill you. If you have the option, get that Sunday dinner that was probably started Saturday night. You have to be in it to win it. And for the youngsters as well as some of the old heads, we have to constantly remind ourselves that freedom is not free. That's right. Like the hamburger man used to say with Popeye, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. Doug, two things before you go. COVID obviously is the the story of the year because it affected so much. It brought out so much. It killed so much. It showed so much. It reflected so much um, and brought some people together so much. Uh, So that's the real story. But if you could think of one positive story maybe that came out of this year that we maybe would have hope. I want to end on some hope this year that we would have hope going into 2021, what would it be? Well, I think the first piece I would have to say that I would celebrate the election of Kamala Harris as the vice president-elect. I think that in itself holds a lot of hope for our community. And at the same time, we have to work to support what it is we need. We have to go to her and the other powers to be and impress upon them that we have some not only needs, but we have some demands. And I continue to say I believe the failure of the Obama administration, I believe the president thought we would have his back as a community organizer. I believe that he believed just by osmosis, community organizers from coast to coast would do just that, organize and bring a people's agenda to him. That did not happen. 
So we should learn from that, and we should be ready January 20th of 2021, ready to let our needs and our demands be known. And as I said, this is going to be a long walk. So we should be prepared to do the walking, the teaching, the organizing. So when I say Amen hope, and LA, I, so when I say hope, I'm not talking about a gleeful hope. I'm talking about a hope where we take it to the powers to be. It's time out for folks getting elected and not doing anything more than fattening their pockets or their friends' pockets. And that can only happen if we are determined, if we are single-minded about where we're going. Totally agree, Doc. Totally uh, agree. Um, Doc, listen, I I just want to say thank you for all you've done this year. I mean, you've been doing this even before this year with us. And thank you. Uh, I know it's been tough for you and Flint and you personally, and I'm I'm glad you're here, and we'll just keep it at that. You know, I'm glad you're here, and you're you're okay, and um, God bless you, man. You enjoy your time, um, and uh, I will talk with you on the other side in 2021. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you, LA, for all of your support, and thank you for allowing me to. Hang out in the bachelor pad. Appreciate you. This man is a doctor. This man is a doctor. Yeah, this man is a doctor. Oh, and it comes on in. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. the show want to bring in my guest always good to have the doctor in he's a syndicated talk show host best-selling author please do check out his work uh he's dr wilma j leon and doc you haven't been on in a minute i i i'm taking my checks back that's all right we'll, we'll work with you 
But um, <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, and I hope all is well with you and your family in this COVID time, sir. All is well. Uh, thank you for asking. Same to you and to your audience. Good evening. Happy New Year. And uh, what's happening, folks? Doc, I, I want to touch on the the – well, let me start with the races in Georgia and get your perspective. You're a political scientist, just to knowing the data and, and what's going on. I, I think that, you know, Democrats are energized. Stacey uh, Abrams should be holding the presidency herself. I might be exaggerating, but what she's done in terms of mobilizing that redneck state and it's been redneck for a long time. Uh, I know a lot of, you know, people have come from other areas, more progressive people and things of that nature, similar to other southern states, but it has been. Now you have this these these runoffs. Um, if first of all, if they had really, if they hadn't tried, the Democrats had tried the D Triple C. I mean the DSCC tried to win Mitch McConnell's seat or some other seat. I. I Lindsey Graham, I, th- I thought, no chance. I know this brother was good, no chance. If they didn't invest all that money in some of these other places and maybe got behind these two candidates in the beginning, would they not be in runoffs now? And if 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 so, well, if, if – and the second part of the question, I guess, was going to be like basically what are you hearing on the ground on there in terms of – who has a slight edge and who you think are going to win? Are are they both going to lose? They both going to win one or the other. What are you hearing? Well, to the first part of your question, I don't think that the democratic party putting more money into those races uh, during the uh, November 3rd election would have made a difference because they had to go to court. To, to deal with the voter suppression tactics that went on during the general election and that they tried to implement during the runoff. And, it, and ironically, Stacey Abrams' sister is the federal right. judge who um, told them, told basically told the Republicans that you can't uh, remove, um, you know, 40, 50, 60,000 people from the voting rolls and and what people have to understand is the basis upon which that was done was the allegation that the people that they were removing from the rolls had moved out of the county. And what was proven was that the people hadn't moved and that not, not only had the people not moved, but the Republicans hadn't even used the proper sources to determine whether they had moved or not. Basically, they lied. They just flat out lied. They perjured themselves. So, no, I think that the uh, voter suppression tactics that were put in place, um, the Republicans accomplished, well, they didn't win. But um, so now now to to your second part of the question, honestly, I'm not sure what the outcome is going to be because i'm i'm hearing that the uh, that the that the the younger voters out there are still active uh it's going to be incredibly incredibly close 
But I'm hearing that there are a lot of motivated young folks that are out there uh, uh, pounding the pavement and trying to turn this thing around. And um, so I, honestly, I, it, it really depends on who you ask. Uh, a lot of folks I hear say there's no chance. I hear a lot of other folks saying, well, that's because you don't have your thumb on the pulse of, uh, of, 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 of the community. And so I, I, so I honestly, I don't know the answer to the question uh, in terms of what the results are going to be. When you, it, my concern is it, uh, the Republicans and other, you know, conservatives that would normally go Republican across the board and, and decided not to vote for the guy occupying the White House because they did want some balance. So they, they vote for Biden. But the concern is like, whoa, wait, we don't want to go too far and go Democrat with senators. So maybe the, the, do you see that as a, um, a narrative, not just in Georgia, but like in, in Republican Republicans that tend to go, they may vote president for um, as a Democrat, but stay Republican with the House and the Senate. I, I, yes, that that's that's happening, particularly in the November, or that has happened, particularly in the November third election, because uh, Trump was just so noxious, so awful, so horrific that he, he even turned off uh, a lot of white Republicans. But they didn't turn away from the party; they turned away from him. So to right. your point, uh, they. Either they did not vote the top of the ticket and voted down ballot, or some did vote for Biden and then voted Republican down ballot. Um, yes, that's. But let me let me quickly to this say I'm not sure that the Democrats really want to win those two seats in in Georgia. Hmm. Be- interesting. Because. If they win the Senate, now they got to deliver. Right. They can't. They can't blame. Uh, they can't blame divided government for their inability to deliver on a number of things that Joe Biden campaigned on, and by the way, now is already backtracking on some of some of the campaign promises that he made. Um, I, I don't think that the uh, that the that the that the elite, the Democratic elite, I don't know that they want the Senate because what are you going to do with Medicare for all? What are you going to do with uh, tuition and um, you know college uh, uh, tuition costs and all, you know so many things that the progressive part of the party not only the party, but the country wants, but the democratic elite, they don't want to deliver. So I think they would be very happy to lose one or two of those seats. Otherwise you got to put up or shut up. That's really, really interesting. I I, I mean, oh, in fact, let me, people in fact, let me quickly, don't realize let me, it. Wait a minute. To those, to those who are saying, "Oh, Wilmer, you're tripping," let me let me tell you why I'm not. 
look at what happened. Look at what they did to Bernie Sanders today. Was it today or yesterday? Today. As Bernie Sanders was trying to hold back the vote, the Senate vote on the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, Bernie said, I, we're not, we're not going to vote on this thing until Mitch McConnell, you agree to put the $2,000 check bill on the floor of the Senate for a vote. 41 Democratic senators voted against Bernie Sanders on the NDAA deal. So, folks, I ain't tripping. I'm telling you the truth. They didn't want Bernie to run for president. They'd rather lose with Biden than win with Bernie. Bernie was the basically the lone soldier out there trying to hold trying to hold court on that two thousand dollar deal. And for a minute, for a for a for a fleeting moment, I thought Bernie Sanders might be able to pull it off. But no, the Democrats abandoned him. That's why I'm telling you they don't want that business because then they're going to have to deliver, and they don't want to deliver. Tell me I'm wrong. They don't, they don't want to deliver. Absolutely not. You're, you're not. And, and I made the point um, previously that look what they're, how they're playing – the politics with the COVID relief bill, relief bill with the, with the stimulus and all that. It, you know, you know the the man occupying the White House said he wanted two thousand dollars, but he knew that Mitch McGoo, aka Mitch, Mitch McConnell, wasn't going to um, allow that to happen, and so did the Democrats. But what did the Democrats do? They vote for the two thousand, and they know it, it's it's they know it wasn't gonna go. It's not going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. And if they're going to play with people's lives, with, with politics like that, imagine what they're going to do, like you said, if they have hold all three branches um, in, with the uh, Biden administration. On that 2000, look, when, when, the, when the Senate approved the $990 billion deal, with all this is one instance where Donald Trump was absolutely right. We can question his motives. We can question his motives. Because we know he's not thinking about the American people, he's only thinking about himself. But this was the instance where Donald Trump was was correct. The bill sucked. There's no question about that. Six a six a paltry six hundred dollars isn't gonna do anything. And all of the pork that was in that bill. And Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer came out and told us it was the best deal they could get. It wasn't true. They didn't fight for nothing. They didn't fight for anything. I was saying back in July that they were going to fold on this deal. And they folded on the deal. And then when Donald Trump comes out and says he wants $2,000 for everybody, now all of a sudden Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are running around, hey, we need $2,000, we need $2,000. Why didn't you fight for that before? Why didn't you fight for a clean bill? Why didn't you fight for a clean bill? That $990 billion deal 
came out of the democratically controlled House. Right. They're just as guilty for turning their backs on the American people as Mitch McConnell is. And they came out and tried to sell us that as though it was some kind of fabulous deal. Oh, it was a fabulous deal if you work for Raytheon. It was a fabulous deal if you, uh, uh, you know, for tax breaks. It was a, it was a fabulous deal for everybody except those who truly needed their government to stand up and take care of them. Six hundred dollars. Come on. Right. What are you gonna do? With I mean, what are you gonna do with that? You know, now, if you ain't got it, you ain't got it. I understand that. But in the greater, is that going to, is the $600 going to stop you from being um, evicted from your apartment? No. Is $600 going to bring you uh, current on your credit card debt that you've had to increase because you lost your job? No. Is it going to make your car payment? Maybe one month, but you're already behind. So is it going to bring you current on your car payment? No. Is it going to bring you current on your mortgage payment that you haven't been able to pay because you lost your job because of COVID? No. So they they tried to sell us that. Let's get this done, and then we'll do another deal once Biden. Look, folks, you were telling us that back in May. When you didn't right. go big enough in May. They're useless. <laughs> if you're just joining us, we'll talk with Dr. Wilbur J. Leon the third, of course, here on the Bachelor News Radio Show and the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill, Carborough. Uh, Doc, when you look at the man occupying the White House and the damage that he's done and the enablers that allowed him to do it, including um, the Democrats. Where are some of the most worst places in terms of um, the politics of it, the policies, foreign affairs, you know, social uh, ills and, and different things, uh, law enforcement, whatever? What are some of the worst places that a Biden administration and, 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 you know, the leadership moving forward are going to have to rebuild? Wow. Well, let me see if you mean, are you asking me actually tangibly locations or do you mean? No, I mean like, I mean like uh, foreign policy. I mean, like, you know, building those relationships, you know, domestic things, uh, all all kinds, you know, the the economy. What's the, the worst places we have to rebuild from this point? Well, dom- domestically, it's going to have to be the healthcare system, and it, which isn't which, which isn't really a system, which is part of the problem. And what I mean by that is they, you know, the the, the government talks about COVID vaccines that have been allocated, but they can't get the vaccine into the arms of enough Americans. Because they don't have a delivery system. So that's a huge problem. Uh, from a foreign policy perspective, China, what they're, what they're trying to do to China is criminal. And 
the, the European Union and China today just signed an investment deal where the EU and China are going to be investing in a number of things, cloud uh, storage and electric cars and all kinds of things that the European Union, uh, primarily motivated by Germany, I think, has signed this uh, uh, investment deal. And it's not a trade deal. It's an investment deal, which to me is very, very significant. They're signing that with China. And and they signed the deal against the request of the United States to wait until Joe Biden came into office. The European Union, now that Britain is out of the EU, America's lapdog in Europe, is out of the EU, the EU has moved forward and signed on this deal with China. And, and again, the U.S. didn't want them to do it. They're thumbing their noses at us saying, we're done, basic. We're done with y'all. Bye, Felicia. We're done with y'all. Um, what it is, what, they are doing everything they can to start a war with Iran, which is a huge, huge, another huge mistake. Israel is telling the United States that they don't that that they don't want us to get back into the JCPOA with Iran. Huge man, there are so many things that uh, that that the Trump administration has done. All of this foolishness about Russia hacking and all of that garbage that all those lies that they keep telling us about Russia and all those lies that they keep telling us about China and they keep telling us about Iran man it is it there's it, there's you you would need a 4 hour show for us to to break that stuff down <laughs> i mean just you know just what, totally inept just man. Lie. totally inept yeah yeah totally and, inept. and when you you look at the the Biden administration again, you and I that he wasn't certainly our candidate, um, but he won. So uh, and he's you know I'm paraphrasing black you know African Americans or black people. You have my back. I'm gonna have yours. How much can he live up to that? And what does that even look like, uh, Doc? Because I don't even know what that looks like. He really didn't put forth a plan. So what does it look like? Kamala Harris looked apart. Uh, just like Barack Obama, Stacey Abrams didn't look, you know, she ain't smooth over the edges, but she would have been better than if you're going to pick a woman, I would have picked her. So you go with Harris and I wasn't happy with that. So what is helping? I got your back look like in a, a Biden administration. Well, let me ask you this. And let me ask all of you listening, turn, turn around. And is Joe Biden got your back? <laughs> is he, is he back there? No. Uh, it, it doesn't. It doesn't look like anything because we haven't demanded anything. There you go. So we we haven't. So so when when Clyburn, you know, we know oh, Joe and Joe God. knows us, and then yeah. and then Clyburn yeah. comes out when when Biden isn't appointing enough people of color to head uh, cabinet slots, then uh, Clyburn wants to tell us. Oh well, uh, I'm very disappointed in uh, what I've seen. Wait, dude, you didn't demand anything, Negro. You, you said he was an honorary black man anyway. Now you gonna talk that stuff? You didn't <laughs> demand anything when you had the opportunity. When his campaign was in the nosedive, and they turned to you 
to pull him out in South Carolina, you could have said, okay, well, here are the conditions under which this is going to happen. And here is what you're going to say on the stage as I stand next to you. And if you don't, I'm going to call you out for the liar that you are. He didn't do that. But now he wants to stand there with his finger in his ear. I'm quite surprised and disappointed that I didn't get that he's doing what he's doing. That's a good Clyburn uh, impersonation, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. So, so then, so then the head of the NAACP and the Urban League, they go public with how disappointed they are. And I was really surprised, pleasantly, that they went public and they said what they said. But then the audio from the call gets released. And you hear Joe Biden talking to them like my dad used to talk to me, you know, when I dented his car and (laughs) backing it out of the garage. But here's the thing. I wasn't disgusted as much with Joe Biden. That was Joe Biden being Joe Biden. That was Tom Thurman's buddy, Joe Biden. That was anti-busing, Joe Biden. That was crime bill as uh, Branko Marcetich in his calls him yesterday's man. That was Joe Biden, yesterday's man. I was disgusted with the folks on the phone that sat there and took the whipping. That's who I'm disappointed in. Al Sharpton, how are you going to sit there on the phone and let that man talk to you like that? Kamala Harris, how are you going to sit there and let Joe Biden talk to black leadership like that and say, hold up, partner, hold up. It ain't that kind of party. We brought you here. And if we turn our backs on you now, we'll take you out. You can't win without us. But they sat there on their hands, and they took that whipping. That's who I'm, and they didn't demand nothing in the process. Yep. And, and, and you know, I remember, I remember I came in the house. I came okay. in the house when I was a kid. I came in the house when I was a kid and, you know, uh, uh, Daddy, Jimmy hit me. Well, did you hit him back? No. Well, then one of two things. Either I'm going to hit you or you're going to go out there and you're going to hit him back. Don't come back in here crying oh, and, not, and telling me you didn't defend yourself. You're going right. to have to defend yourself against him. Or you're gonna to have to defend yourself against me. Now you go That's ahead right. and pick your poison. Your your moms and my moms was uh, they were on the same pit. Going, what you do? Did you hit him back? <laughs> you better because I should shoot. You know, <laughs> you know how moms be doing. <laughs> and you look at all silly, like, well, you know what happened was. <laughs> go get, go get me a switch. That's what, and and one time I got I, I got bold and came back with a little twig. She said, "Oh, right. my mother used to do the wrestling move. Like, oh my God, like she pointed the ears like the crowd, like, oh, you just did what? You did? Oh, oh, break oh, you gonna try and play me? Oh, okay, you gonna try to play me? That's right. Oh my God. But no, man, quick that, that was you know, just go ahead. And one one more quick point about that audio. I wonder who leaked the audio. I think now. I don't know this, but it wouldn't, let me put it this way, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody from the Biden camp leaked the audio 
so that the Lincoln Republican white folks that were backing Biden would know, oh, he didn't he didn't fold to the Negroes. Oh, he stood up right. and he told the Negroes what we need the Negroes to know. That wouldn't surprise mm. me. It wouldn't surprise me either. Uh, you know, I, I was going to get into, uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I was going to get into why um, we uh, continue to, uh, it's too deep, but the mindset of, you know, Biden's just this nice, you know, old white gentleman. He, he doesn't make, he, he, he's got a gaffe. You know, it's just a gaffe. And he's a Democrat, and just like North Carolina people think you, you know, you born with a basketball when you come out of your mother's womb, you know, when we black, when we come out of our parents' our mother's womb, we Democrats. So we gotta give him a pass. He's a he's a nice Democrat. He's an older white guy. He says all the nice things, Doctor Leon. Come on, he can't be he can't be a racist. He can't be a racist, and he can't be a bad guy. You know, he can't. Be any of those things because he's a nice white Democrat who worked with Clinton, you know, the first black president who played the saxophone on the Arsenio Hall show. And, you know, it just kind of goes on and on. And I don't know if we need to have those those type of mentalities in our in our communities die off, quote unquote, or it's just got to be some fundamental mindset change or, or political change to, to get people to understand, you know, you have to vote for your policies. Policies don't have a color. Policies is the policies that you believe in, and that's going to help you and your community and your family, not Democrat and those other guys on the other side. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I think it really comes down to something that uh, Coretta Scott King said Shoot, back in 1968, struggle is a never-ending process. Freedom Mm. is never really won. You earn it and win it in every generation. We have lost the understanding that it's really about the fight and the struggle. Right. And we've, we've lost, you know, this whole thing about the squad trying to force Nancy Pelosi to bring um, Medicare for all to the floor of the house for a vote, and one of the fears is, well, what if we bring bring the bring it to the vote, bring it to a vote, and we lose? Well, okay, you lose, but you have gone on record and you've forced people to go on record, and then you know how from there to continue your fight. So we ha- we don't we we are we are more concerned about being liked than we are about being respected, let alone feared. And so hardly any of those folks that we have in so-called positions of so-called leadership, they are fighters. They've been co-opted. They are competitors. They are the competitor class. They are the uh, blackness leadership class. And they're not taking us anywhere Anywhere. Yeah. Doc, final question. You know, COVID was obviously the story of the year. It just affected everything and all the, everything around it. But give me, if you can, a positive story 
or positive, something that may be positive that you can put your hat on that would be going into 2021? Something good. We're still here. Mm, Amen. Struggle is a never-ending process. Freedom is never really won. You earn it and win it in every generation. We are still here. Now the question is, what are you going to do with it since you're here? May I suggest, go down swinging, at least. Let them know they were in a fight. Let them know. You may not win. You may not. You come at me. I may not win, but you're going to know you were in a fight. So I got Mm. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. See you on the other side. Same to you, Doc. Listen, and uh, I just appreciate you. I respect you. um, And God bless you, man. You and your family. And like you said, we're still here. Let's keep being here and let's continue to do what as we do. Ma- but as the mayor said, do the right. As the mayor said, do the right thing. Always do the right thing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Doc, I love Later. you, man. Thank you so much, sir. Love you too, buddy. Take Appreciate care. you. Out. All right. Take care.
Join Barry Barnes for Locker Talk on the Bachelor Pad Network as he presents NFL news and evaluates players Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. Tune in to You and the Law with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. It's the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill and Carborough, North Carolina. I'm your host, L.A. Bachelor. Hope you had a good Christmas, and we hope that 2021 is certainly going to be something different uh, in the most positive ways we pray that has been in 2020. I want to bring in my guest. They are two of the most respected people that I appreciate. I'm not just saying that because they they air their broadcast on the network, but just uh, just two guys that I really respect. Two two brothers, keeping it real, doing their thing. Um, they are co-hosts of the show You and the Law, which airs on Tuesday evenings, 7 p.m. Eastern time, uh, at six four six nine two nine zero one three zero, and you can listen to the rebroadcast at our website, thebachelornewsradionetwork.com, thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. Uh, anytime you want to listen to their show, you go to their, their homepage, click and listen and enjoy law enforcement information that you need. Their Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Swag Humphrey. Brothers, uh, Merry Christmas to you, and um, uh, Happy New Year before the time. Happy New Year to you. Well, same to you, L.A., man. We feel the same about you, brother. We feel the same about you. Like, Likewise, we, we, L.A., man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We, we, we love you. We, we appreciate you. I, get, I, I still get feedback from, from uh, Tuesday's show. Um, you guys touched on, you know, 2020 in your show this past week, this past Tuesday. Want to kind of stay on that lines and, and go a little further. Uh, I mean, rest in power, so many people. Um, but I want to start with you, Swag, because a lot of times uh, you make sure, and I think it's important to to, to make sure that people um, understand that the negativity, the issues that may 
happen with law enforcement across the country, albeit might be some law enforcement says, oh, it's only a small percentage, but it's still happening, right? Uh, it it tends to happen um, at a blink of an eye, it seems, from what we see that the civil people's, you know, the, the civil community sees. Um, and it also, uh, Chief, it seems to happen not just in black and brown communities, and I'm one of those, so it's very important to me because I got kids and I ain't trying to have them walk out and get shot down by a cop, a bad cop at least. Um, but it's also happening uh, more increasingly with women. What What is – is there something going on in bad policing, not in your policing? I know you're a great chief. But is law enforcement doing something different or wrong? Um, why the numbers? I looked at the numbers, and there are a lot of black women are getting killed, man. You know, and, and I don't understand, you know, why the increase. I mean, and, and certainly you can go into uh, poor whites and, and these, these lower-income communities and things of that nature um, that, that are also a statistic on these fatalities. But with women, uh, Chief Green, what I mean, Chief Humphrey, what what do you think is going on there? I think you know, great question, L.A. I think what's going on is we're teaching officers. Officers are being trained to be paranoid and scared instead of being cautious. Uh, instead of being cautious, and I think that uh, they are not understanding uh, that everybody's not a threat. Uh, and, um, you know, when you train someone, and we know that uh, anyone, on, anyone on any given day can use any item as a weapon, but when you train someone that everything is a weapon, everybody's out to hurt you, uh, you've got to watch your back all the time, uh, we know, we understand to be cautious, we understand to be careful, but when you train a person to be paranoid, to be afraid that, when certain people, certain people who live in certain areas are more likely to hurt you than others, you do build that sense of, uh, of being afraid, that sense of uh, I'm, not, I'm going home, I'm going home, uh, you know, I, I'm going home to my family. Well, we all want to go home to our families, but I think we're teaching people to be robotic. I think the, I think the profession has gotten to a point where people are just robotic and, you know, thinking that every time it's going to be like this, every time we don't, we're not teaching officers to be flexible, to be able to adjust. Uh, you've heard me talk about emotional intelligence and social intelligence, and we're, we're, we're not that. Uh, just by, you can tell by the sound of a person's voice, you know, some of the videos that you've seen, the inflection that they have in their voices where they're, they're scared, they're, they're, they're panicked. Uh, that's not a good mixture when you're coming in contact with people who may, uh, a person who may not um, comply with you the first time or may not really understand what you're asking them to do. So I think it's it's more of we're teaching one way of policing and not a multiple uh, uh, method of doing things. Yeah, you know, we're going to talk agree. with the- yeah. Uh, okay, I, I was going to say, I had talked with some, uh, uh, a couple of people, um, and and their theory, and it's, it's an opinion, there's no factual points to it, but um, that, 
you know, law enforcement is human, human. Just like you have, you may have gay, straight, wife beaters, drug addictions, whatever. They're, you are microcosm of society. So these are the things that take place. So if you have, this person has said, if you have law enforcement that are male, let's say, that has no respect for women and and treat them like whatever, then it may come into a police stop, you know. All right, you, you know, you know, spread them. Get, you know, I, I know that doesn't happen. They have a female officer come and stuff, but, but kind of, kind of treating them, you know, demeaning them, and then things go awry. Or maybe some. I've heard white folks say, you know, some of the sisters got too much mouth, which is, you know, that leads to, um, uh, some kind of uh, confrontation. But as your colleague. Uh, uh, Chief Humphrey always says it's about de-escalation. So, what do you what do you think, uh, Chief Green, is is going on there? Well, you know, just like uh, Keith said, it goes back to training. But one of the things you cannot train or untrain is a uh, this guy's attitude towards women. I mean, those are things that's already embedded in in this person's DNA. This person's attitude and he can cover that up through interviews he can cover that up through uh talking to supervisors there are things that supervisors or the department may not have picked up on before they hired this individual that he had these underlining uh issues especially dealing with women because there's a lot of men who have this uh this attitude especially with black women like you said if a if a black woman rebels and says something against them, then it's almost like, you know, <laughs> it's the end of the world. How dare you speak to me that way? I'm a man and you're a woman and you need to stay in your place. Give me an example of that that happened in 2018 L.A. in Seattle where a police officer lunged into the backseat of his patrol car. Uh, the uh, black lady was already... Uh, in handcuffs, uh, she became somewhat combative. Uh, you know, she had some lip. She gave him some lip, but he ended up punching her in her face, uh, broke several bones in her face. Um, the officer was fired for excessive force, but here comes the the police union. They they the lawyers went to arbitration and the. Uh, his termination was overturned, and so he gets his job back. But the Seattle Police Department was under a consent decree by the Obama administration that held them to a higher standard uh, of police, especially federal oversight. So, you know, there there was a lot of other implications that the Seattle Police Department had to deal with with that one officer uh, incident, but it just comes back to you're hiring men who some are coming out of the military, some, uh, and then we've all heard about the, the, uh, the abuse that women are subject to in the military. So there is a lot of things that go into when you're putting these guys in police uniforms and they're dealing with, especially women of color, because as we know, sometimes they don't tone their voice down 
and that becomes that makes that officer even much more aggressive and angrier. And it and it just seems as though you know we see the situation that the murder I call it no disrespect uh, in in Louisville with this young lady who just was uh, you know a first responder and and trying to help in COVID she comes home to get shot in her bed like shot dead like dead and and now they want to you know prosecute the guy and it, it, it's just it, between that I guess. Quick question for uh, you, Chief Humphrey. Between these incidents um, and you seeing in this this new social uh, media this this area, you know, shows like Cops and some of these other ones have gotten off, got gotten to what you know t- taken off because they you know people not only it seems like from a civilian standpoint, they're glorifying the cops and the cops are doing their job, but they're making them out to be super, super cops on these, it's like reality movies. Right. And so people are watching this. And, and at the end of the day, chief Humphrey, for me, I want everybody to go home safe. If somebody speeds and they get a ticket, give them the ticket. If somebody breaks the law, burglarize, take them to jail. I want you to go home to your family, and I want that person to go home. So what is it going to take? What is this social media movement? Is it really hurting um, the image of cops on top of the fact that you have these bad cops that are not only doing bad things and killing us like slaughtering sheep on the, in, the, in the pasture, but they're also um, being exonerated? Like, okay, I I fear for my life. I shot the guy. You want to fire him as a chief. And then the union comes in and the mayor doesn't do anything. And he back on the street. Yeah, it's, it's, I'll tell you, man, it's, 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 uh, it's very, very uh, interesting. uh, You know, that topic you just brought up. Let me, let me just say this. One of the one of the best things that happened to the criminal justice system, as far as getting people interested, has been shows like CSI and other shows. But then at the same time, you do attract a a type of person who is I call them adrenaline junkies who believe that this is what they're going to do all the time. And we've had kids that have gone through the academy, started out, and they realize that it's structured, that they realize that you're not going to be in these high-speed chases. You're not going to be getting the shootouts every day. You're not going to be able to put your hands on people just because. There's a such thing called the, you know, the, 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 uh, the Constitution and things like that. And so you'll weed out a lot of people that way. But you, you still have individuals who still don't understand what the main purpose of law enforcement officers are. We're peace officers. And what has happened in L.A. is that over the years, for years and years and years, uh, communities of color have said that law enforcement has been been abusive. Uh, And I've said this on the show before, L.A., they've been abusive. It goes back to the Rodney King situation. It goes back beyond that. And and, 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 you know, we've been telling you that law enforcement has been abusive. They've been oppressive. They've done this and then this. You didn't believe us. Rodney King video came out. And so now, you know, people are saying, okay, we told you this is going on. And you haven't done anything. 
we show you the George Floyd situation, and you and this is still going on. When are y'all? When are you going to get it? You know, when is training going to change? Well, the, it's not necessarily the training, but the training is there. The um, you know, I look at the curriculum. The curriculum's there regarding de-escalation, regarding dealing with uh, communities of color. But what it is is you can't change a person's character. You can try and you can try and you can try and you can try. You cannot change a person's character. If if I've got a character flaw and my character flaw is that I have an issue with women, that's going to come out at some point. If I have a character Mm -hmm. flaw that I'm abusive, that I'm a racist, it's going to come out somehow. The thing about it is, L.A., is that it, when it, there are times when it comes out, it's too late. Either you know somebody suffering, you know. Chief Humphrey, that's the sad just, thing about it. If I could just, yeah, just Chief Humphrey, I'm gonna go to Chief Green real quick too. But if I could just uh, uh, add to that, you know, Rodney King, hell, in my hood, I grew up in the projects, man. We ain't trust no cops because they came in there, right? Uh, you know. I'm rushing stuff, strong arming people, doing stuff. We ain't bothering nobody. We're already in the hood We're trying to get through whatever. So, you know, we we don't we don't want them. We don't black, white, whatever. We don't trust any of them. That's how that's how our hood was. We it was like that. But it's gotta be difficult, um, to to deal with that and, and you know, I'm in the media and people, you know, look at DJs and on-air personalities and, and news reporters a certain way in a bad light and stuff. And a lot of it's warranted, but that's not me. So if Chief Humphrey is not like that, that's got to be tough. Because if you ain't a bad cop, you're not a bad chief, you're not a bad law enforcement. The, the problem seems to be that, sure, you got a bad apple, but you need to get rid of the apple. But the problem is the apple keeps staying on the job. That's the problem. Like, I know. He ain't going nowhere. That's the biggest problem. He ain't going nowhere. He ain't going nowhere. Yeah. And that's that is well, the problem. And, that, and yeah. that's why you're seeing massive That's why you're seeing massive payouts. That's why you're seeing protests. That's why you're seeing all the issues and the concerns. That's why you're seeing a lot of the nonprofits, the Black Lives Matter pop up and, and things like that because it, it just appears that you can just wear a badge. I mean, this is the perception and, and the reality of, that people have is that you can put on a badge and you're invincible. You know, he's going to yeah. get his job back anyway. It's a slap on the wrist. You know, there, what, you know, what do you have to do to be disciplined? What do you have to do to be fired? I mean, that's the, that's the concern of the communities of color. Well, you know, L.A., this is something that I mentioned on our show Tuesday night is that, you know, you've got the bad apples, but where does the the tree, the roots of the tree is bad, especially when you have a department that has a history of condoning and, well, you know, condoning may be a a harsher word, but you have an agency who kind of looks the other way uh, when it's been reported that you have officers who are bad apples and they don't do anything or you have supervisors who look the other way, don't report it up to the higher uh, chain of command within the agency. And then all of a sudden when that officer does something, you know, fatal, and then all of a sudden determine that this officer may have had, you know, 17 kind of certain complaints, but nothing was ever really done anything about it because there was a level of supervision who did not escalate that thing 
those complaints all the way up to the top. So, again, some of that starts with the you have a bad Apple officer, but then you have the roots of the agency, which is embedded with systemic racism and things, just the culture of the agency. And there's a show that is no longer on, but it's on reruns, and I think it was a show that really influenced a lot of people to get into law enforcement, and that was the show Cops. And Keith, as you know, Cops showed pretty much everything, uh, especially in the beginning of the show, and they kind of tried to tone down some of that as, you know, toward before the show ended. But Cops was a show almost kind of like watching Miami Vice, the, the TV series. I mean, it was just, Hey, this is what we do. We're we're the police. You can just go out and you can rough people up, and that was the that was just how the show was. So you had a a a, a generation of people who saw that and who said, "Oh man, I want to get into that." Or you had a generation of people who were getting out of the military who said, "Well, shoot, getting out of the military, I'm just going to go from having the you know from this to this, and now." You know, I, I can legally get out here and treat people the way I want to treat them. Hmm. Well, well, you know, and then also, you know, when you talk about shows like Cops, the thing you have to look at also, they showed what they felt was going to get high ratings. And a yeah. lot of the stuff, people wanted to see excitement. People wanted to see people get slammed, mm-hmm. high-speed chases, not the community stuff. Great point. Great point. Yeah, exactly. uh, you know, it's a reason. It's a reason. It's a reason why NASCAR is very popular. People, you know, people like. It's a reason why reality. People are miserable, so they want to see other people miserable. So people want to see that kind of. That's why reality stuff works. And Cops was a reality show until this social change and this visibility stuff that happened in 2020, and and the the, uh, the slaughter of George Floyd and others. Kind of, they had to they had to stand down and do that type of thing. But I, I guess, too, to, uh, guys, before we get out of here, I guess a comment of mine is that, you know, we should, uh, again, black-on-black crime exists. White-on-white crime exists. So, but folks out there listening, understand when, when they throw black-on-black crime, if you live in a black neighborhood and you're a criminal, you're going to, what, rob black people because you live in a black So I'm, I'm not going to go that deep. But my point is that, you know, John Wayne can kill Indians on on show uh you know the you know the lone ranger and all those white heroes killing uh, as law enforcement or whatever the gunslingers and all that stuff we do it and then we're we we're deemed as you know you know uh either too black because it's maybe might have been a black person involved i'm talking about you guys or not not blue enough if you speak out so the so I guess my question to both of you quickly is in 2021 moving forward, especially under this Biden administration came out of the Obama thing, my brother's keeper, and the whole 21st century policing is black leadership uh, in terms of the 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 ranks where you guys are you know fraternals and stuff. Um, are they ready to to bring forth a progressive voice? And say enough is enough. We we're not go. We blue, but we black first. Like at the end of the day, Chief Humphrey, Chief Green. When you go home, you know what you are. So are, is black leadership ready to push forth and say, hey, we just not. I'm sure you, you know you guys have been doing it, but we're just not going to stand for bad policing 
or or white nationalists or racists or people who want to, to put forth that in the name of the shield that you, you respect and you honor and you worked hard for. Oh, a thousand percent, L.A. Uh, Noble, National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives, is one of the most outspoken organizations when it comes to uh, the, the, the stance against police brutality. Uh, was very vocal about the George Floyd incident, been very vocal about the Breonna Taylor incident, uh, has gone to Washington, D.C. and sit in the White House and been very vocal about uh, the, the outgoing president not doing the things that he should do and about the attorney general. So, yes, it is, it is happening on a daily basis. You don't hear about it because it gets drowned out. But let me, let me make it very clear that, that the, the Black Police Association's executive association of black police chiefs throughout the nation are speaking out loudly uh, about uh, this type of behavior and, and, and demanding that changes be made in our profession. Yeah, LA, and you know, one of the things I think, you know, there's going to be a big difference in the uh, of Biden Justice Department that that we have not seen in the Trump uh, Justice Department because the Trump Justice Department just pretty much went in and just basically said the consent decrees that were already uh, established with agencies, they just said we're not even going to honor those consent decrees. And if you one of the things that has not happened in four years, there has not been a single police department under the Trump administration of the DOJ that has implemented a new consent decree against the police department. What they've done is actually went in and tried to say, no, we're not going to enforce that. That was Obama. We're not going to Obama and Biden. We're not going to do that. Well, as a matter of fact, we just got a copy. I think Virgil was included in that, a copy of uh, uh, the Attorney General's uh, pseudo uh, 21st Century Policing Report. Uh, it's 300 and some pages. And the first thing that someone said was, we haven't had a comprehensive law enforcement report or recommendations for law enforcement in over 55 years. And we just had one in 2015, but they go way back to 67 when Lyndon Johnson um, had formed a committee called the Kerner Committee. So they, they totally ignored Obama's 21st century policing and skipped back 55 years. And it's just amazing. I'm interested in reading this to see what, what's being said. Well, yeah, but before that- you go, and I- Real quick, uh, I just want to acknowledge, uh, I know my other guest, Trev and Mike, uh, T-Mac on the line, and you guys appreciate your patience uh, for a second here. But uh, go ahead, Virgil. Then I want to ask you guys one last thing. No, I just want to just add to that, that, you know, with the outgoing administration and a, a new coming administration, that is one of the things that when you talk about policing the police, the, the Department of Justice is there to – uh, police to police, and especially on a federal level. So hopefully, you know, some things will be put back in place going into 2021 that will hold agencies accountable and where the community can can see that there is a federal oversight in making sure that agencies are doing what they're doing and making sure that they don't violate uh any person's civil rights, whether you, you know, no matter what race you are. 
Right, and uh, you know, you guys already talked about the Justice Department being different in this administration, and uh, as opposed to the prior administration. Hopefully, this administration, this president-elect coming in, um, and 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 just like certain policies need to be um, universal across the board, state by state, I really think it has to happen. It has to. I mean, I'm not law enforcement. You guys know better than I, but it, it seems that it should be that way. But final question for you quickly. Um, we we talked about some of the things. Uh, you guys talked about it on You and the Law airs on 7, uh, uh, seven o'clock on Tuesdays. You talked about some of the, the, the deaths and, and the struggles, uh, not only just law enforcement, but being a black man in law enforcement and being in positions of power and having to deal with bad cops and all this kind of stuff but it give, give us i want to end this year on hope give us something both of you that may take place because at the end of the day right now there's a lot of hurt covid19 destroyed and brought some people together a lot of different things but 70 million people voted for the guy who it really is not with us so let's just say i'm being nice so so there's going to be some tension, and, and, and within that 70 million people, Chiefs, there are law enforcement in there, right? There are guys that on the off, when they you know not working, they posting stuff and doing things. So give us something that we can hang our head on that maybe might be something positive that law enforcement and communities of color in particular can come together at some point. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. The the thing about the, the COVID pandemic has has caused a lot of police chiefs and their executive staff to sit down and, and talk to community leaders and come up with some game plans on what needs to be done moving forward to improve those relationships. Because you because you because you got a, you had a lot of time to think, a lot of time to create, a lot of time to reflect and sit down and have these conversations. So I, I, I'm going to always be optimistic. I'm going to be a realist because you're going to have some that aren't going to do it, but I'm going to be a realist that you're going to have some like myself and like Chief Green are going to step out and do those things uh, and, and, and continue to fight toward making it a, it a better place uh, for law enforcement and, and all communities, especially communities of color. Well, and I'll just add to that real quick, L.A., is that, yeah, he got over 70 million votes, but I believe over the past six months with all of the protesting and everything that's been going on, you had over a million plus people who basically said the uh, the killings of minorities have to stop. When you have thousands and thousands and millions of people marching and protesting against the police brutality, that is a, a, a light of hope at the end of the tunnel that uh, communities are going to hold their police departments accountable. And I think that's something that we can definitely look forward to in 2021, uh, that communities are, are going to hold their uh, uh, local officials and their police departments accountable uh, to make sure we don't see another uh, 2020 with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and so many others that have been killed in 2020. Yeah, and a lot of like I said, I started off this interview with a lot of black women have been killed in, in alarming numbers uh, lately. But at at the end of the day, like I said to you both, and I, I I believe that, and I am honest about it. I want you both to go home 
safe to your families. I, and you guys know I got a nephew just on the fourth, fresh on the fourth, and that's my sister's only child. So I'm praying for him that all you know and and everything you could just dealing with normal stuff that can get out of crazy, you know, domestic violence, whatever. I want him to go home so my sister can sleep at night. You know, so absolutely. Um, absolutely, yeah. So I just appreciate what you guys do. Um, it's unfortunate. Thank you. you. You know the bad cops out there, but keep doing what you're doing. Keep your head up and head down. I always tell Chief Humphrey all the time. Um, God bless. Uh, Happy New Year. I'll talk with you on the side, the other side, to both of you, and thank you for coming on this evening and sharing uh, what p- folks uh, want to hear and want to know. All right, and, appreciate and happy you, brother. We love, you, we love you, man, and, and happy New Year to everybody. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, happy New Year to you and your your family. Chief Virgil Green, Chief Keith Swag Humphrey. Their show comes on 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You can listen at 646-929-0130. It's live at 7 p.m. Eastern Time in the evenings, or you can go to listen to the rebroadcast at the Bachelor News. Radio Network. From the makers of Children's Tylenol, it has only the medicine your child needs to make a stuffy nose simply disappear. If you want to smell a rose, get the stuff out of your nose. If you take a serious smile, simply stuffy. Simply stuffy. Use as directed. Director of Urban Media Today.com and 
co-owner and producer for Urban Media Today Radio. He's Trevor A. Jones. Uh, he is from SportsAwakening.com, the three-point conversion, Nashville voice. He's Mike, uh, General Mike Patton, and my longtime friend from from around the way. Uh, he is the uh, editor-in-chief of Black Athlete Sports News- Newsroom, Tony T. Mac McLean. Guys, I it, it, couldn't think of three other play- people, maybe some more, but just to do HBCU, some NFL. NBA and MLB, I appreciate you. Happy New Year to you right before Happy New Year. Howdy, howdy. Happy New Year well, thank you. Well. Happy New Year to you, too. Yes, sir. And, and, and uh, again, I appreciate your patience on the line. Trevor, I want to uh, start with you. Um, uh, we had conversations about uh, the HBCUs and how they've handled COVID. COVID's the story, and we'll get to stories uh, at the end of the broadcast, but uh, was the story of the year, um, but the dynamics, uh, uh, the financial in terms of some schools maybe making decisions, uh, even conferences making decisions based on the schools and their endowment and everything else, how do you think that at this point now, moving into 2021, that um, – MEAC, SWAC has handled it, and how do you think SIAC and CIAA is going to handle it moving into 2021? Well, I think, and thank you for having me. It's, a, it's, a, it's an honor, especially to be with the other guests that you have. It's also an honor. Um, I think that they've handled it well. Now, I know that, and just before you came, we came on the air, um, uh, the SWAC just released a press release saying that Southern University is pausing its games. There was game. There were games scheduled for this Saturday uh, that they're not going to play, and they are not rescheduled at this point in time. So they're saying they're postponing them, but there's no uh, make-up date scheduled. And I think it was a Prairie View and Southern was supposed to play Saturday. Now in the MEAC, they have some games scheduled for Saturday as well. Um, and I think that the conferences are handling the situation well. Uh, when you're talking about the SIAC and the um, CIAA, I, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think Lincoln University may have played maybe three games, men-wise, and then I think the women paused their season. Um, so I think that the conferences, especially the smaller conferences, they're doing they're doing uh, the athletes justice and even the institutions, and I think that some of the schools can continue to play outside of the conference if they wish to. Uh, when you look at schedules, you'll see pro- sporadic scheduling starting around maybe January 20th, January 18th. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for me, L.A., and as positive as I try to be, especially when it comes to sports, as long as you're looking out for the welfare of the students, I'm letting them play. Uh, I think it just makes it harder for people who are trying to do rankings, such as myself, and I know that the Black College Sports Network does a ranking, and I think Dr. Cavill is going to do a ranking as well. Uh, it's just hard because right. you have to figure out who's playing and then how many games they're playing and then who their competition is. Um, but I think, to answer your question directly, um, that the conferences, I, hand, I think they're handling it the best way as possible right now. Are they really – I mean, the, the question that come up, and I know Tony and I and some others have talked about this before in terms of mm-hmm. accountability. Um, certainly parents can decide, you know what, my baby ain't going there. It's just, it's just too dangerous. I'm not letting my kid go on campus to play no game and risk their life. So that that's mm-hmm. the parent side. But, but uh, are they just playing advocate is – 
are they really looking at it from that standpoint? And then the other side of it is um, when you look at some of the sports, do you think that in some of these schools that are like borderline and we know who they are, we don't have to say names, in terms of bringing programs back or broke programs on the border, do you think they're going to be shedding them down because of COVID moving forward? To answer your question directly, yes, I do. I've been, just like you and Tony, T-Mac, um, I've been one from the beginning. Uh, and I know I said this, told this story before to you and your audience, but I was able to do the last uh, MEAC tournament game um, during the MEAC tournament last year. Um, I got to sit in with Lamont Germany as his color commentator uh, for the game um, between uh, Morgan and I think it was Maryland Eastern Shore before it was shut down, the tournament was shut down. And I said from that point forward, that they need to just shut everything down for the for the health and the welfare of the of the young ones until we get the vaccine out, get everything under control, and then just restart again. And I would I thought at that time that it would be 2021. Now that I'm looking at it, I'm thinking it would be the fall of 2021 before you would really um, try to get things started again, just for the safety and welfare of the students. Now I've kind of softened on that because. When you look at the, the dedication and the sweat and tears, blood, sweat, and tears that the young ones are put in to trying to play, if you can put them in a safe environment and allow them to play, I say let them play. But if you cannot do that, then, of course, you have to be responsible as an institution and say, look, I have to make a bigger decision and say, no, we're not going to have the program. But to answer your question directly, I think later on as the season progresses, I don't think we're going to have a complete season, to be honest with you. You know, Mike Patton, you cover Tennessee State, and you've, you've been covering it, it, especially done articles in the midst of COVID-19 and everything that's going on. Um, it, it, how, is, uh, how has it affected them individually? Obviously, they, they're in the Ohio Valley Conference, so they have to, you know, they're adhering at least right to those, uh, those uh, guidelines. But how hard has it been for Tennessee State at this point? And do you foresee any adjustments in terms of – because we know football, basketball going to run it. It's going to run it. So do you foresee any kind of cancellations or uh, a shedding down of particular sports because of that? Or, or are they in a better place than some of the traditional HBCUs are still in it that maybe they don't have to? Um, well, you know, they're having their, their issues as well. Um, they've had to postpone and move a few games, uh, especially in the women's uh, basketball. They've had to move a couple of different games just to not have enough players with the protocols that they have in place for the OEC. Um, so, I mean, they're doing the best they possibly can. Uh, they do have one feather in their cap, though, that uh, Meharry Medical uh, College is right down the street, and they're working with Meharry Medical right. College to uh, put together protocols and things like that. So, that's one feather in their cap that, you know, it goes outside of the OVC. But other than that, yes, they're 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 doing the best they can. They have had some issues in terms of um the women's team, a couple games have been postponed and you know, men's team they've had a game postponed, but you know, they luckily, you know, everything's been able to be put back in place. They're doing the best they can in terms of putting everybody in the best position, spacing out the floor, not letting anybody on the first level of the floor during games or anything like that either. So they're doing, um, except for the essential people, it's hard to, you know, clock people, stuff like that. So they're, they're making pretty much everyone in there wear a mask. One thing I would say, um, 
I'm interested in and in everyone else's opinion as well. Is I didn't know this when I was watching the games. Uh, I watch the games. I, I don't actually attend the games this year, you know, due to uh, COVID and things like that because, you know, limit, they're limiting a lot of things there. But um, but I do watch the games. And I noticed the referees, there's like one referee that had a mask on while he was refereeing, but the other two didn't. Wow. So I was trying to figure out, I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> what, what's supposed to be happening? Aren't all of them supposed to have masks on? All right. And I was wondering if anybody else saw that, too. Well, what I was going to ask you, what's the OBC's, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, <clears throat> protocol? Like, what it, what are, they, are all of them? I never even noticed that in any conference, actually. That's a great question, mm-hmm. uh, guys, Tony and, and Trevin. But, uh, but like Mike, I, is there any, any kind of protocol? Like, they have the the, the – the referees have to have a mask because I never noticed that at all until you said it. I've tried to ask uh, around a few questions to the OVC. I haven't got an answer yet, but hopefully I will have an answer pretty soon. But I haven't had got an answer yet from them. Wow, mm-hmm. Tony T Mac, you was gonna say? I'm watching. I'm actually watching Knicks Raptors now. Both head coaches have masks. None of the referees have my mask on. If there's a, if there's a, if there's a, I guess a protocol. I, I, and and you one would think that, especially folks, of that, you know, you would think that the NBA would be on it in a sense. But yeah, I'm like I said, I'm watching this game now, and none of the none of the referees have a mask. Both head coaches have a mask on. And See, all I want to ask you and all sideline folks as well. Go ahead. I, I was going to ask you though. With the the changes, um, uh, and and Trevor, you know this too. But the T with the changes of of Fam and Bethune and you know A and T and everything with with COVID, it was changed everything. We'll get back to that before the, the end of the broadcast. Um, it, it's, does this that everybody's been a little different with COVID, and and some of, some of it. Whether you be personal or an HBCU, been a conservative. You you, you got to make sure you balance the budgets and everything else. Is is COVID in a weird sort of way? In a in a weird sort of way, um, making HBCUs think better about a, a game plan. Uh, not maybe not an epidemic, but certainly a pandemic. But certainly um, just being better prepared. Or crises? Do you think that has happened with them? I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's made it better. I, I think they've been more. You know, I think that the awareness is definitely there. And see, the thing is, most of those conferences. Remember, um, when we were, you know, when we were going into um, the beginning of the year, you know, the, you know, the MEAC, uh, CIAA, all you know, they basically all. Um, that you know early on that their uh, fall sports were it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't going to be done at all. They gave it time to uh, they gave it time to fester, so to speak. And now now they're hopefully they'll reap the benefits of it from football. I think football is going to be the real gauge uh, because even though there are some schools where basketball 
is on a bigger is is a little bit more important than football. I think for most schools, football is the thing, and I think the fact that they're going to actually play in the spring um, will do a lot. To, I think will do a lot to bring a higher profile to the football, even though it's just the two conferences. But no, I, I just I think they've all. Make a long story short, I just think that the awareness was there a lot quicker, and let's let's be honest, these conferences probably had a little bit more to lose than you know the the the, the quote unquote five families as as we like to talk about. Yeah, and if See, I, mean, I want to stay with you. Uh, sure, sure, go ahead, Trev. Go ahead, Trev. Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say I think that the no, commissioners. Dr. Thomas with the MEAC, you know, Dr. McClellan with the uh, with the SWAC, and then you have um, Gregory Moore with the SIAC, and then Miss Jackie McWilliams with the CIAA. I think they've always been prepared, uh, and I think that they've all handled their positions um, extraordinarily. Um, because, and I, I am one who will stand up and and put my chest out when it comes to the HBCUs, because I think that even from the beginning of the pandemic that they've looked out for the best interest of the students. Now, we all know that college sports brings the almighty dollar to the schools, especially football. But when you see the SIAC just suspend this whole football season, I think they were first um, along with the Ivy League. Uh, and then you had the CIAA do the same thing. And then when it's coming to basketball, um, you have them postponing part of the season, if not this season. And then you have Dr. McClellan uh, with the SWAC coming up with a plan that no one else had. No one else had a plan <laughs> um, that was making sense until Dr. McClellan and the SWAC said, look, this is what we're going to do. You even had the big schools and the SEC and, and, and big conferences looking at it like, wow, you know, you get, you get noted, noted on ESPN for coming up with such a plan. So to answer your question directly, I don't think that COVID forced them to prepare any differently. I think they've always been well prepared to handle um, situations but I have to give them kudos because I think that they've shown and proven in their last steps and in, 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 in actions that they've taken that they've looked out for the best interests of the student-athletes. That, that's a great point. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Trevor Renee Jones, Mike Patton, uh, Tony T. Mac McClain here on the Bastion News Radio uh, show on the Bastion News Radio Network, WCOM in Carborough and, and North Carolina. Uh, T, T, I want to go back to you, and then I'll, I'll take it around the horn, if you will. Um, it, 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 you know, Trevor makes a, a great point about, you know, because they're on a budget, you know, we got $20 and they got $200. We got to make that 20 work. So we're going to spread that 20 out and make that 20 work. And that essentially is what Trevor's like. They already, they already know they're on a budget, so... Uh, COVID comes in, so all right, so we already we know what we got to do, and we're doing what we need to do. Some people started early, some people didn't. But um, it, how much do you think it has affected uh, the women's game, in particular, the Virginia States or the Bethune Cookmans or some of the other programs that have been really good at whatever? Uh, and, and winning championships and getting to the postseason. Uh, how much? Because we know where I think we all on this broadcast know that you know, in in whatever level it is, you know, football and basketball is going to drive everything. Soccer, volleyball, whatever. But you got some women's programs in the HBCUs. T 
that really do well. Mm-hmm. So how much do you think you you look at uh, Howard is doing good and 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 we we have them all the time on on, on the air, Norfolk State. So how do you think uh, it's affected them from a women's uh, uh, standpoint? In particular, when the women's basketball, women's basketball. Is, uh, game is good, right? Women's basketball game is good, but you might have you know, women's track that may not get the same attention and the same funding, it may be detrimental. I think it's hurting, I think it's hurting across the board um, because be, just strictly because they're not playing. It's, I don't know if any sport is taking more of a hit. You know, maybe the women's sports because they don't get the kind of publicity that they should. But, no, I just, this, is, this, is, this, is, this, is a, this is a big hit, I would think, for all the schools. It's a big hit. I mean, you got to remember, the MEAC is, is celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. And it, mm. it, and sadly, it became an afterthought because of COVID. You know, you think of um, Sam and Bethune. They, you know, they had, it, now it was tough enough for the MEAC that they were leaving, but the fact that there wasn't really a sort of a ceremonial passing up the torch, in a sense, that just added that just added to even more of the of, of what COVID took away from, from all the schools. Yeah, Trevor. Same question. I mean, we always, I know here on this broadcast, and T and I talk about you know when you go to CIAA tournament, um, in particular, we cover that quite a bit. You know, they they kind of rearrange some things to attract more people. Sometimes. Uh, Woman game might be early, sometimes it might be late, based on whatever. But uh, but the game the game is evolved. The game is really good, right? It's really good basketball. We know that. But how much has it uh, COVID nineteen really hurt um, women's sports? I, again, I have to agree with T Mac. I think it hurts across the board. But let me just point out something to you, if I may, to your audience. Sure. Um, last season, um, every media today does a top 25 HBCU bat hoop poll nationally for men and women. Uh, we've been doing it for four years. And last year, um, Benedict finished number one on our poll. They were 27-3. and three. Their coach had mm. to tell them right before the Division II tournament, which is postseason, and you know as well as I do, get you that extra exposure, helps with recruiting, helps bring funds into this institution. They were told that they could not participate because everything was canceled, and he knew it was going to be canceled before it was canceled, and they were preparing for that game. So when you look at a school like Benedict out of the SIAC, 27-3, and great season, and then you have, like, Talladega, who was 28-5, and Bethune-Cookman was 23-6. and You have Virginia Union, who was 23-4. and All these teams are 20-plus win seasons on their way to the postseason, and then you get shut down. So that hurts dramatically, I mean, drastically. Um, it cuts down on the funds that could be raised. It cuts down on the recruiting. Recruiting. It cuts down on the exposure. It cuts down on, you know, going out there and pumping up your brand. Um, so I think it hurts tremendously with the women's game. I think, though, that there are organizations this year, um, I think someone made the quote, um, I think it was Puffy, uh, Sean, uh, Puff Daddy, I think he made the quote, if 2020 didn't force you to get your hustle on, you'll never get your hustle on. I say that to say this. Right. In 2021, if organizations don't come to assist HBCUs in their sports coverage, and even these institutions that I just spoke about, then they're never going to help. So I think it hurt L.A., but I think help is on the way. 
Yeah, well, that's a that's a positive thing. Mike Patton, you you cover uh, uh, the Tennessee Vols uh, Lady Program, a program that obviously after Pat Summit is, you know, been on not let's just say not at Pat Summit's the, the late uh, great Pat Summit's standards, but certainly, uh, you know, um, at, at a point where they're competitive. But you know, from from the Power Five level. How much did COVID uh, really hurt the women's game? Any game, especially uh, in in the area where you live, where you know Tennessee Vols uh, women's basketball is like, you know, it, it, it's it's the gospel. Right. Uh, as far as that, I mean, definitely it hurt. Um, it hurt a lot for Tennessee women's basketball because that revenue that they bring in. Um, with the fans, you know, they're an anomaly, I would say, in terms of just the overall uh, women's basketball because their program brings in droves and droves of people to come watch their games. They bring in revenue a lot that way. So, uh, technically, this year, that, that's, that's hurting them a lot. However, I will say that, you know, um, you know, it has hurt Tennessee in general across the board because that program, I don't know if you know, the football team is paying like a couple coaches still right now. So, um, they're they're not necessarily the they're not necessarily the richest program right now, and you know they can't afford it. I will tell you this: if they could fire, they wanted to fire Jeremy Pruitt tomorrow, the football coach. They can't. They probably couldn't fire him because they couldn't afford to pay him again. Pay three coaches. Wow. Do anything else because they're 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 that's cash strapped as the program. Mm-hmm. So. I would say that um, you know that affects their their overall thing because Tennessee uh, women's basketball and and uh, Tennessee football are the two main things that bring bring money up there. Here recently, it's been Tennessee's men's basketball team because they're doing very well. But before that, it was you know those two, and that was it. So you know it's definitely affecting their their bottom line for sure. But you know hopefully you know. By this time next year, or before this time next year, hopefully there will be you know some sense of normalcy to come back. And, and if I may, Mike, I wanted to cut in real quick. Sure. Um, even mm-hmm. what Mike just said. Not only that, take it off the court. Look at the sports information departments. You're speaking of Tennessee. Well, well in oh the state God. of Tennessee, Vanderbilt, I believe, had to let their entire department or a majority of their um, sports information department go. Um, because of the impact of COVID. Um, so, I mean, and Mike, yep. and if I have that correct, um, where where you are, you, you're well aware of that. So we have to take it off the court as well and look at the, the sports information departments at the schools because if the, the teams, like ten, the Tennessee Vols, the Lady Vols, we all know how famous they are, if they're not playing and not bringing in the funds and the football team is not doing well, then you start to do those budget cuts, and it, it goes beyond mm-hmm. athletics. And, right. and you're right because right. I mean, think about it. We all know how important SIDs are, not just in COVID, God, uh, God bless, but just in terms of getting the information out, being overwhelmed, underfund, underpaid. So yeah, I mean, so and that that's across the board. Like I mean, the SIDs, the big programs might be a little different, but I mean, it's just it, it's really a tough situation. Uh, that's a great point, Trevin, in terms of how. Um, the, the sports information directors, uh, you know, are, are all the cut the, the cutbacks are happening, and if you can't get the message out, 
And Lord knows you got a great player or a, a kid that might be coming from a broken home or a situation where he wants to get drafted and do what he needs to do and the information is not there. And Tony and I talk about that all the time, is, you know, getting information out there. These programs, making sure they get that information out there uh, is, is crucial. Uh, Mike, I, I want to ask you real quick. I don't know how much time you have, and you can let me know when you need to go. Oh, keep going. Um, I'm good. Okay. So I want to go uh, and, and, and really across the board, but, but start with you. It's something I mentioned to Tony the other day, uh, and it's, a, it's an ongoing you know, issue, if you will, if that's the word I want to call it, because it, it truly doesn't go through uh, or go away, and that is the issue of the black quarterback. Now, you have a Dak Prescott who has proven that he can ball out in this league, right? And he got hurt. He didn't get his money. The, the, all accounts, people hoping he's going to get his money because he, he's showing he can play in his league. Uh, and you stay in this division and you have two other guys one kid in Dwayne Haskins who actually mature sure but I thought as T will tell you he was set up to fail anyway um you know they they really didn't even the former coaching staff didn't want him and then Rivera and that whole thing there um and then you have a, a Jalen Hurts a guy you familiar with with the SEC you you know you covered him of course he went to Oklahoma there as well but that they still question if he can play. So you have three different scenarios. A guy who's established is showing that he can't play. A guy who maybe didn't get the coaching that he needed. And a guy who comes in and already shows in a shorter stance and everything else uh, that he can do better with this Philly team than the, the great Carson Wentz. At the end of the day, in all three different scenarios, they all looked upon as, you know, not being capable of getting it done or not being capable of getting the money. When does that end? And am I seeing anything different in those three particular scenarios in the NFC East? Um, well, one thing I was going to say about Jalen Hurts, I do like Jalen Hurts. I do like watching him play. And I thought as soon as he got drafted that um, – we would probably be seeing him within two years. I already knew that already because Carson Wentz gets hurt all the time, and he hasn't been playing necessarily the greatest. At that point in time, I hadn't been playing the greatest either. So I kind of expected that. And the thing I want to look at with uh, Jalen Hurts is he's playing well. I just want to see what happens when uh, teams start to scout him more and how he performs in that aspect. That's the only thing I want to see. Brothers play well. So you, you can't take that from him at all. Um, and he's definitely looked comfortable in everything he's doing. And the thing that, that irritates me is that some, I know some Eagles fans get mad when I say that, hey, Jalen Hurts looks better and, you know, the injuries and things like that and the offensive line, they bring that stuff up and the wide receivers. But I'm like, hey, you know, not much has changed with the offensive line since Jalen Hurts took over. <laughs> not, not much changed with the wide receivers since he took over either. So you tell me what's what's different. You know, at that point, there is no answer. So, you know, I think I, I would love to see him continue on as quarterback. However, I do think there will be a competition in the offseason uh, for that quarterback position just because you probably can't move that contract because it's so heavy. Um, as far as Dak, you know, Dak is forever going to be treated like he just can't do the, all those 
different things. There's always going to be moving of a goalpost with Dak and uh, Dallas. But unfortunately, that's just what the case is there. And I, I feel he does, doesn't get the just do. Even this season, as bad as they are, and they're getting ready to be pretty much they, – they, they, they can basically win in their end for – there's going to be some Dallas fans that are going to tout that as a successful season, even though they've looked good and terrible without without Dak most of the season. So you know it, it, it's it's forever going to be something down there. Uh, I think it's just uh, something in, in regards to the area of the country. To be yeah, Dwayne Haskins. I'm sorry, I. I but you remembered him in terms of, uh, you know, the the situation there. I, I, again, just, you know, he acting like a 15-year-old trying to get his own ID, you know, trying to, you know, just, just, just being a kid. I mean, it's been a lot of immature quarterbacks in the league. And I was surprised at Rivera if he was, a, a you know, um, extremely uh, a part of the departure of, of uh, Haskins that, that that happened because Cam, a black quarterback, uh, had his issues too early in his career. Um, but Haskins, I thought, was set up to fail when you had the Gruden guy. That he didn't want him, you know, uh, and, you know, he coming back home with all that money and stuff. And just being a kid, I'm not making excuses for him, his behavior at all. What I'm saying is that they remember his first game, they just kind of threw him in there. Like, so it wasn't it wasn't a match made in heaven anyway, even under the old coaching staff. But um, I I guess what I'm asking is, like, when you look at those three different areas, it's always an excuse for why it's the the black quarterback as opposed to what's really going around with them. If I may, I'll cut in. Um, Is Mike still there? Oh, I lost. Okay, we lost. We lost Mike Trevin. You you take that. My 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 bad. You you take that. No problem. Um, first and foremost, to address what you were talking about in reference to um, the Washington Redskins situation. Yeah, the brother might have been set up to fail, but um, you've been you've been drafted, and you're a professional at this point in time. You have to make that transition. Now, what I've learned in covering even HBCU football, um, when I worked for SBN Broadcasting, and they used to have the Black College, BCAA, Black College All-American Weekend, when they needed the Black College uh, All-American team, and then they would have this, um, what we would call a, a session. So they would have this session where the professional players, current and former, would come in to speak to the um, college athletes who were about to make that step to the league. And it was always stated that there always needs to be some type of mentorship or somebody assisting these young athletes making that transition from not having money and being seniors in college and, and, and students and coming from maybe the neighborhoods they come from to having money. So you need to have that, that mentorship there. So somewhere along the line, even with the Redskins, and I think that most of the, I'm sorry, the Washington football team, I think that most of the NFL teams do have something in place to help with the mentorship. Um, obviously with this program, something broke down. Now I'm not taking the, the onus off of the young man um, because yes, he, Mr. Haskins is responsible for himself. But at the same time, when you're looking at that, let me take you gentlemen back. Remember uh, Jamarcus Russell? With the Raiders? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember yeah, how he, he, he had a rough time. He had a, a difficult time adjusting. 
um, adjusting to the NFL. I mean, he had his chances, and he played, I think he played for maybe three years, but he had a difficult time. Remember Vince Young? Vince Young had a yeah. difficult time making that, that adjustment. Um, so I think that there's some things that we as fans, when we sit back and we watch these things happening, and I say all, this all the time in my podcast, it's easy for us and for the talking heads to sit back and say what happened, what should have happened, how something should have been handled. We're not in the locker room. We're not in the meeting room. We're not in the office. We do not know what happened. The only thing that we know is the only things we know happen is what's reported to us. So I always give these professional athletes the benefit of the doubt. Now, if he was acting like a, a young kid, he is a young kid. So he has responsibility, but the organization also has responsibility because they're investing in this young man. Now, I see where you guys are going, and I totally agree when you're talking about the color of the individual skin has a lot to, to deal with that. Uh, I'm going to throw another quarterback at you, Terrell Pryor. He had to switch from quarterback to wide receiver to get his just due as far as recognition. But he was a hell of a quarterback. But most people will tell you, and, and, okay, he's great as a receiver. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And I'll say the only thing I, 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 I agree with uh, uh, a lot of what you said. All I'm saying is that, you know, for every Dwayne Haskins, who made something going on in the locker room, you got Ryan Leaf and Blake Bortles. And well, they get second point, chances yeah. and third chances and four chances and stuff. And that's, that's all I'm saying is that I hope this kid, if he, is, he, he wasn't doing the right thing, the, the dude threw for a zillion touchdowns at Ohio State. I mean, it was, so he kept, mm-hmm. he's a big kid. He got strong arms, all that stuff that they look at, you know, uh, the, Peyton Manning's with the big arm and all that kind of stuff. They look at that kind of stuff. All I'm saying is that I hope he, if it, a quarterback, Roethlisberger, you know, you 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 know, uh, up in Pittsburgh, he got away with some mm-hmm. stuff, and he's still standing. Mm-hmm. He's a Hall of Famer, or whatever. So my my point is is that I hope that when these situations, these Dwayne Haskins situations, take place, that he learns. Number one, number one, he learns from his mistakes. But number two, they treat him like these Ryan Leafs and Blake Bortles and all these guys who've been around messing up and doing stuff. And, and, and they get the same opportunities, the same kind of grace, um, you know, that those guys have got. That's the only thing, you know, and, and that's where it comes into the color. And for me is because, you know, this, you know, this kid, if he's banned, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you mentioned um, – for the Raiders, he was horrible. He couldn't throw the ball. Like he Marcus could, Russell. You right. Know, right. I mean, so, yeah, sure, he certainly – he can't play. He he wasn't ready for the highest level. I get that. But I'm saying if – if but he had to at least get another chance to see. You know, like Cam Newton had a horrible year this year. But Cam was hurt and the COVID and all that stuff. So we need to see if he can still play. Now, if he comes out like that this year, next year – then okay, I get it, but you don't kick the guy out of the league because of because guy, Alex Smith is going to get another year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing, Trevor. I'm saying is that we want to make sure it's, it's balanced because you know, sports is a microcosm of society. T right? We talk about all that, and so we want to make sure it's a fair shake. We know we're not getting a fair shake, but we like to make sure we all get the fair shake at the very least. <laughs> And if I may be totally honest, Ali, go ahead, go ahead, Tony. Go ahead, Tony. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, 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 no. 
you know, let's let 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 let's be let's be completely honest here. Um, we all know that Dwayne took some took several bites of that peanut butter knucklehead sandwich this year. We get that. That's right. So that's 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 the deal. But with that being what with that being said, here's the one question that needs to be asked here. Now we all know about the whole thing with the with the whole strip club, and if they're going to start banning guys um, in the in in pro sports. Um, from the strip, from from you know, if they're going to get rid of guys that do strip clubs, then we're going to only have basically about twenty five athletes left in all the four major sports. So let's just let's, <laughs> you know, let's let's not let's not let's let's, let's not be silly here. But see, here's the question: the whole you know the whole thing uh, that blew up last Sunday, not this Sunday, but last Sunday, it was his second offense. They took his captaincy. But see, here's my thing. If Ron Rivera was so big and bad, why didn't he not cut him? Why was he Why was he starting under center on uh, Sunday afternoon? And see, please don't say, "Oh well, um, you know, Alex Smith was hurt, and the third string guy is only whatever." See, the thing is, it's the kind of message you want to put out, and when you realize that the franchise, whatever you know, whatever they're calling themselves now. Um, they have not, they have not been in Haskins' corner from day one. That's mm-hmm. that is that is that has been a given. Even though he was, you know, in a sense handpicked by um, uh, little, little 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 Danny. But my thing is, if you really if if you really were thinking about what's what you know what kind of message you were sending, you cut him right there. But no, they went out of their way. They made this personal. They truly made this personal with this kid, and when he gets his, when he gets his second chance, and he will, you know, it, it, I, I find I find it interesting that his um, his uh, agent also bailed on, on him as 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 well, but um, he will be given another opportunity. You just it's, it's the only thing is he's probably going to have to sing for his supper, much like Cam did this year, and and. And that sort of, you know, and not to go too far off, but that sort of reinforces it. Think about this. Cam Newton is a Super Bowl MVP quarterback, and he basically got treated like the help in regards mm-hmm. to uh, his, his career this year. I mean, Jameis Winston, mm-hmm. they let Jet Clampett start in front of him before, uh, you know, before they let um, Drew Brees back on the field. And and mm-hmm. say what you want about about his off the floor. He's still a quality quarterback. But again, what's sad is, and, and I seem to say this every year, if I could go an NFL season without having to see and deal with the plights of the of the black quarterbacks, then then I'll really think that things have changed. But unfortunately, the Haskins thing is is it just just adds another chapter to it. It definitely does, Tony. Think about this. You're talking about a league. You're talking about a whole entire league, and I'm going to put it out there, a whole entire league that was afraid of a black man that took a knee and looked strong with his afro on the sideline. There you go. There you go. There you go. Okay. Afraid. Afraid. I'm not saying, you know, mad at. I'm not saying, you know, hated. Afraid. So that's just status quo. Look at Warren Moon. Warren Moon's in the Hall of Fame in the CFL and the NFL. 
Look what he had, what he had to do to get due justice. I mean, just to get his recognition. I mean, that's incredible. And Trevor Warren, about- Warren didn't even come from like an HBCU or small school. You know, he played in the past. Like you, it wasn't yes. right. So it wasn't even, and he still had to, you know, uh, earn his keep and and was great in the CFL and then comes the NFL. Houston, don't tell me in that era that who, who's a better quarterback in that era when he quarterbacked at Houston. I hated him. Like, I'm a Steelers fan. I I hated seeing Warren Moore <laughs> as a Steelers fan. Right. I mean, he was just right. accurate and with a bomb arm. Like, what? And then, the, but he, he talked Marino. I love Marino. And they talk all these other guys. Warren Moore was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the history of the game. In the history and of the game. Astronomical numbers. Correct. So, yes. It's sad. It's What's 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 really what's really bothersome, and see people will say, oh, well, you're you know you're you're, you're still you know talking about the past and what have you. I'll I'll I'll, I'll leave you with this. Um, I forget what year the year that um the year that the uh, Hall of Famer uh um what the what, what was the oh the year that Cam um Cam Cameron was your Hall of Fame uh, head coach for the win for the almost winless Miami Dolphins. Now, they went into camp that year with Trent Green and Dante Culpepper basically fighting it out mm-hmm. for the uh, the quarterback job. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them during that preseason basically played even. But when it came to them when it came to them naming the quarterback uh, Cameron basically said, we feel more comfortable with Trent Green, the quarterback. <laughs> now, that's that, that's that old, you know, like you could, you, could, you could fluff it off as coach speak, but we, all four of us here know what they were saying with that, you know? And, and the well, thing about it is, even, even with more uh, brothers playing, I mean, this year, Opening day, you had 10 black starting quarterbacks of the 32 teams this year. That's the most that I can remember ever in, uh, in, uh, for, for opening day. We're down to, I believe, you know, through, through injury and attrition and whatever, I think we're down to like maybe six or seven now, if, you know, however, however the way things play out. I mean, for Christ's sake, Tyrod Taylor took a needle from his own um, – but from, from his own trainer to lose his mm-hmm. job this year. I mean, if if they always say you know don't play don't play the paranoid card all the time, but when it's happening, like you know, there's too many coincidences. It's just way too many coincidences. You know, I, I want to ask this uh, to you, and I, I I don't know Tony if we got Mike on the line briefly or whatever, yeah, but. Mike, Mike. Uh, yeah, I'm right here. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm right here. Good, 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 awesome. So I, I want I want to ask, um, is that in in the NFL has COVID pointed out or COVID had anything to do, Mike, with the not the maturation of the black quarterback, but the appreciation of the black quarterback. In other words. You've had these different situations come in place. Uh, the the kid from uh, Wake Forest who had the quarterback in Denver, and they kind of joked around and 
And he actually was a, a, a pretty decent quarterback. Well, I've seen him in way. I'm in North Carolina. I've seen him in Wake Forest. He's pretty good. Um, and Hinton was pretty good. And, of course, you know, he's undersized with no training and no no uh, practice squad. Uh, playbook either. Nothing, mm-hmm. nothing, right? And then they make it to the joke, you know, okay, whatever, he's a wide receiver. And, uh, again, people might think I'm uh, taking a stretch out of it. But now you got a situation – and it, with the Rams, with a kid he played for and battled the quarterback with, the white kid, and, and he was a good quarterback. And they're like, well, you know, hey, I heard Kurt Warner saying, well, you know, he he mobile, he can make moves, and, uh, you know, the coach will make plans <laughs> for him. It's just this different thing. Like, you know, Hinton played quarterback at the same school. They were there at the same time pretty much. They battled for quarterback, but one quarterback – um, it, it, it's he has no chance, and I, I understand um, he didn't get any uh, time with the playbook or or any squad, but but so did the other kid. But uh, but of course now the Rams quarterback is, I mean the Rams coach is smart, and they're going to put him in positions to make plays. And and uh, like I said, maybe I'm over exaggerating, guys, but the sleight of hand is right there. Like they're making the difference right there, and. and and so I'm thinking, Mike, is is are we still are we digressing with this mentality of of the black quarterback, not the athlete, because we always can ball, but the fact that we can be leaders and make smart decisions with the ball. Are we digressing with that? Uh, I don't think we're digressing, but there is some. Uh, there's still some uh, some uh, some of the old boy system still there. Uh, of course, it hasn't all went away. Of course, there uh, there there you know grandfathers now instead of fathers, I should say. Um, you know, I did have to say something about the Haskins situation too. I don't know if uh, you know y'all talked about this, but did y'all mention the fact that they had to like track him down for the actual post game press conference? And I think that kind of factored into a lot of things too. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I heard yeah, that he didn't want to come out or something. It, like that. It, they had to literally, they had to literally go find him to bring him there because I know somebody that covers the team, and yeah, so it wasn't necessarily this instance or that instance. He he didn't help himself either, but he surely wasn't set up for success either, especially uh, once uh, Ron Rivera brought in Kyle Allen. When he brought in Kyle Allen, I knew the fix was in because Kyle Allen was his backup quarterback and the guy who played quarterback for him last year in Carolina. So right. I, I already knew what time it was. But I would say as far yeah. as leadership positions, uh, there's still an old boy network out there in some places. Some places there isn't. And, you know, another test of that is going to be this year when uh, Jamie Newman, who was uh, slated to be the starting quarterback for University of Georgia this year before he opted out, when he comes up to be drafted. And nobody talked about that that guy, but I'm pretty sure you know who that is, Tony. Mm-hmm. That's Tony. But, uh, and then also L.A. Yeah, I know you know who that is, too. So Yeah. Um, when he comes up for playing quarterback, then you, you'll definitely see uh, whoever drafts him, and you'll see definitely what all is going on there as well. So, you know, yeah. I think in well, some places, just old boy network is still alive and well. In some places, it's gotten better, but it's still going to be there in some kind of form or fashion because it is the NFL. It's a mindset. The it's sad it's, thing is it's a mindset. It's a mindset. There we go. That's because, see, again, We've seen, you know, the numbers are, are much more there now than they were 
say as as when we were all when we were all growing up. You know, back in the day, you could count all the black quarterbacks in the NFL on one hand. At least now, there's more and to to a lesser degree, the mentality isn't there. But to go back to what Trevin has said, um, they you know remember, Colin Kaepernick got to a Super Bowl, and and right. and, mm-hmm. and in a sense forced forced um, the NFL to change the way they played with the with the with the run pass option. So it was it was you know in a, in a, in a, in a sense they were seeing you know their 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 highly crafted little mental game being taken away, and they were and they're still to a certain extent they're still not ready to hand the reins over. It's this it's still. It's still a thing where they still look at us in a lot of these sports, whether it be football, basketball, or baseball, they still look at black athletes as subservience, no matter what. I mean, it's, and, it's, and, 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 you know, with the court, you know, look, with the quarterback of an NFL team, there's that whole thing of, you know, he's basically your CEO or CEO in waiting. And there is still that, for lack of a better word, trading places mentality in regards to that. Definitely. And if Trevin, I may I tell me, and, and not to cut you guys. Go ahead, Trevin, I'm sorry. I, I, I want to I I share an email with you um, okay. from John in, in Philly who said, whether you're Michael Jordan or the lowest, uh, lowest player on the team, whether you're Denzel Washington or a new actor, or whether you put your hands up or keep your hands down at a traffic stop, you still a nigger. And that's a that's something that just came over an email. And 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 I wanted to share that with you only because of what the 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 question and I was asking you guys is like whether you're Jalen Hurts coming out and they saying he's too short, you too this or whatever, or Russell Wilson who's about the same height maybe and balling now and he ain't he he won't even get an MVP he hasn't got an MVP vote all the time he's been here two two MVP I mean two Super Bowl appearances one one Super Bowl championship or whether you're Patrick Mahomes balling out or whoever they're still looking at them the same way and I think that's what the emailer Trevin was kind of trying to go at you know in terms of mm-hmm. again that whole Michael society and so and it's very interesting that they brought that point out but I didn't mean to bring, uh, interrupt you but I just wanted to share that with the audience and with you oh no doubt and if I may respond um, I appreciate that response and I appreciate that email but what I'm going to, to say to that to that brother that wrote that neither one of us are niggers and we're not going to claim that and I say that and I say That's this right. to all the young people that That's I come right. across and I, I say this to all the Very brothers cool. that I come across because if you look That's at society right. as a whole, mainstream society, mainstream America, they may look at a brother that's on the street as a gangster, as a thug. That brother may know how to survive on the street. They'll say he has street mentality. That same brother can put on a suit, step up into a corporate office, and manipulate and be able to navigate through business the same way a Caucasian male may be able to do. The only difference is that that Caucasian person was given, hear me, 
given an opportunity Mm -hmm. towards that young brother who you want to label as a thug or street mentality has to fight for everything that he gets. So to that young brother that wrote that email, I totally agree, and I understand what you're saying, and I know that you and I are probably of the same mentality, that we're not claiming that. But he, what he is saying that's right. is that's what's thrown at us as far as from another perspective. So I truly appreciate that. If I may say one more thing, Mike, I do know who Jamie Newman is, and I know he was at Wake Forest, and I know he's going to Georgia. What I want to say in reference to that is this. Remember, Lamar Jackson wasn't taken by the Baltimore Ravens until the last pick of the first round. We're that's talking true. about Lamar Jackson, okay? The young man, Lamar they said, <laughs> yes. Okay, so when it comes to Jamie, and and kudos to you, Jamie, if you're listening, for everything that you've done. I think you're extraordinary, and I wish you the best because I know you're going to make big things happen when you get the opportunity. I would not be surprised if Jamie was not taken until the end of the first round. Hmm. I wouldn't be surprised either. Honestly, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm looking at – you know, funny thing is, I, I see him and maybe Kyle Trash potentially being drafted in Atlanta. And Trash just had a horrible game yesterday. Yeah, oh, I know it. He just had a horrible game. He was missing his buddy. He was missing his buddy Kyle Pitts. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's all the excuses were made. I'm like, hey, if he's a good quarterback, hey, he can still make things happen. The system still works. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say anything, but you threw a couple of interceptions while we were on the air now, but I didn't want to say anything. But I just wanted to say, gentlemen, it, it, it's a mindset. Um, there's a there's a thing thing that I always say to to my people, to 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 my brothers and sisters when I'm speaking to them. It's called institutionalized slavery. Mentally, get rid of that. Yeah. Get rid of it. Yeah. Because it's the same mindset that when you look at the NFL and the way the NFL looks at us. I, I'm gonna throw this out there for you people who are young and don't know. I'm gonna tell you, Google this. Google Marlon Briscoe. Marlon Briscoe was a black quarterback with yep. the Buffalo Bills who had to convert to wide receiver, but he was a black quarterback back in the 60s with the Buffalo Bills. Google it. Mm-hmm. Um, Denver, Denver, and, Broncos, Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos. I mean, Denver Broncos, yes, Denver yeah. Broncos. Mm-hmm. And he was a wide mm-hmm. receiver with Buffalo, but he was the quarterback in Denver, yep. if I'm not mistaken, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, had the, before, before John Elway, he had the uh, rookie record for most touchdown passes in a single season, 15, and, and Elway only bested him by two. And I, I don't would even want to, like I said, I, I don't want to, I, I really don't want to uh, uh, beleaguer, but they, even, like, it, it, we even are, uh, <laughs> so even uh, their, their mediocre quarterbacks and mediocre coaches and ours, we get the slight. Like, uh, uh, that's, that's the point is what I'm saying. Like, they they can be me. I don't mind if we mediocre. Get rid of, if Cam had a bad year, okay, it, it is what it is. But let us let us get the bad year and get a second chance. Is what I'm saying, right? So we don't get the second chance part or the third chance. But L A. L A. It's like with coaching. It's like it's like it's like with the coaches and and the and and, and the managers. You know, uh, Willie Randolph is still waiting for his second job. Both quarters oh still waiting God, for his Randolph. second job. Eddie, uh, Eric, B, here's the thing. You, you, be a head coach. You, you, put it this way. Do you realize that if Urban Meyer said tomorrow he wanted to coach in the NFL, he'd get a better chance than Eric Bieniemy? 
I got something better for you, Tony. Mm-hmm. I got something better for you. How about, you know, now that they're talking about Eric the enemy, now they're trying to bring up uh, Mike Kafka, the quarterback coach. Is he's he's going to be looked at. He's going to be looked at for as a as a, as a head coach on the same team. Wow. The same team. Wow. Guys, at the end of the at the end of the day, and again, it's not something that's going to happen overnight or whatever. Until we have more more black GMs, more black scouts, and most importantly, more black owners, this is going this is going to be a problem. This is this is still going to be a problem now. You know there are that now with all the proliferations of some of these, I don't even call them minor league football, but some of the lower level um, non uh, major league level sports, you're seeing you know what we have to do is we we as black men, black women, or what have you, we have to be more of a part of that. We have to have more ice cubes that run the big three. As opposed to, but to, 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 to the advocate of that, you had a Bob Johnson that owned, you know, an uh, NBA to the small one guy, one guy. But but, one but guy. here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying though. When we get in these positions, are we going to be doing the right thing? Is the point. When we get in these positions, if you get a Clarence Thomas, is Clarence Thomas pulling anybody up? He's one guy. No, he's no, been no, sitting on the He's trying to pull somebody up. It's about, it's about, it's about being. It goes back to what you just finished saying. Give me the opportunity. Give me the opportunity. I mean, if they can, if they can resurrect Tony Larusa for the hundred and fiftieth thousandth time, and you know, but the, but the, it's a, again, it's a, it's it's a mentality. It's all of that, and it was, if it was just, if it was just one thing. You know, it would be, it would, you know, you'd be able to understand it. But see, this is history. This is, this is, ele- and again, these are not excuses. This is just the reality. You know, the, the, the Negro Leagues uh, is in the midst of its 100th anniversary. Do you right. realize that you still have never had a black man on a major league baseball team after all these years? And now the and now the and now the and now the uh, Major League Baseball has the audacity to say, well, okay, well, we'll we'll, we'll give you all some props now. No, no, no. And that's true. And if I may, uh, LA, it's it's all about who the person yes, is. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's all about mm-hmm. who the person. Oh, the is. person who we Kudos to Bob Johnson. Mm-hmm. No, no, right. it's all about who who gets that opportunity and what they do with the opportunity. And and that's where it comes into with us. The responsibility is ours to teach the young ones to break that. Like your email said, the, the person put the email, you know, and used that word and said, well, we are. It's our, it's up to us to teach the young ones not to own that, not to care. When that, when that word is thrown at us, don't care about that. You keep on your job. You grind. You do what you got to do to get your opportunity Whatever, and by any means necessary, get your opportunity, take advantage of it. When you get it, you reach back, reach to your side, and, and help out the and next Trevin, brother and sister. And, and then, Trevin, you get a uh, uh, um, uh, Ray Lewis who now says, hey, when you come in the league, you, we need to teach ours that what's going on. That you're going to have the, the honeys coming at you and all this other stuff and the money's there and all that stuff. You got to be able to handle all that. But this is mm-hmm. the same Ray Lewis that was going to go to jail for some murder stuff, and he didn't want to rat his friend out, you know, back in the day. 
So but again, if we get the opportunities, right, right, and I'm I'm with all of you. What you're saying with the opportunity, we we definitely have to be mentors and take advantage of those situations. And what I'm saying is that in some situations, not just sports, but in 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 general, we're not doing the right thing. And that's a reflection on the responsibility on us to do the right thing, whether it be us, we all 50 plus, well, not Mike, but we all 50 plus or that area. We need to be, we need to, that's on us, man. We need to make sure that everybody below us knows what's going on and teaching them what's going on. Not getting in the position and go, well, I got mine. You got to get yours and I'm scared. You're going to take my spot. So I ain't going to help you. I'm just going to do my thing. And we've seen it in um, the media. We talked about this on uh, conference calls. We talked about this. And and the crazy thing also, and maybe more so the NFL than of all the four major leagues, you know, back in the day, you always had a quote-unquote grizzled veteran. You know, know, Howie Long always talked about when he came to the Raiders, you had a Ted Hendricks. You had – a um, God, what's my man's name? I can see him right now. A Bruce Davis. You know, you go to some of these. You look at some of these teams now, where the grizzled veteran is a guy that's only been there more than five years. You know, when when um, when when Kevin Garnett came to the uh, Timberwolves years ago, he basically shared an apartment. Yes, he had a couple of his boys there, but he shared an apartment with his mom and a guy by the name of Sam Mitchell. Now, unless you're a mm-hmm. true NBA fan, you don't really know who Sam Mitchell is. Sam Mitchell was basically a crack, the crack, the crack, he was basically uh, a crash Davis in, uh, in gym shorts, you know, yep. for, all you, for all you Bull Durham fans. And see, that's the thing. You know, very few, there's very few of those guys left that, you know, and, and see, that also works into the whole thing of, of of the black athlete as well. Now, granted, in the NBA, you are going to, you know, because of the disparity, because of, not the disparity, but because of the fact that it's majority black, you don't see that in the other sports. And, that, and you know, you look at, I'll use, I'll use um, the, the Washington uh, Traveling Kings and Motor Kings, whatever the hell they call themselves now. Who, other than, other than, other than Ron Rivera, who's the group of veteran that's going to take, um, Haskins by the face and say, stop that. Now, one would think that Doug Williams would have done that a couple of times, but again, we're not privy to what's, what's going on there. But that's, that's the thing, too. They're condi- you know, all these leagues have off-the-field off programs about you know, how to you know, do your money and how to you know, stay away from these places and everything like that, but invariably there's always going to be some folks that, 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 uh, that, that uh, shy away from it. And problem I have is they always try to make it that the, that 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 the suspect is always black, and that and that gets annoying because we know that it's not. Right. It's not just the black guys that are doing this stuff. Well, you know, Michael Vick, the convicted uh, dog killer. You know, they 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 add. There's always a comma after us. We do. They do the comma. Michael Vick, the federally. You know, convicted, all that. So we always get that. So it's no surprise um, that they do that. And I did get someone to say, well, you know, you know, you raw, whatever. I, you know, I, I use the word just to let everybody know what the, you know, the listener, the emailer was 
was saying, and I, I always try to keep things in layman's terms so people understand what what we're talking about. So I um, and I appreciate Trevin's response because that's really what is all about. You put it out there, and you get the response. Um, uh, and and Trevin' uh, the response was, uh, was uh, spot on. Uh, I, I want to take it on the lighter side, guys. So before we go, and you guys enjoy your New Year's Eve, uh, uh, Michael, when you look at I'll put you on the spot first. Uh, you look at um, the COVID certainly is the story because it evolves around all of life. But if you had a a bad and a good story in terms of sports, what would that be? A uh, bad story in terms of sports is uh, <laughs> the NFL's inability to care about uh, their players. <laughs> it was mm. evident when the players that actually started before the season, uh, you know, of course the NFL had time. They had time to come up with a plan, time to do this, time to do this, time to do this. And when it came time to go to camp, they still didn't have a plan. So Russell Wilson and other guys had to step up and say something on Twitter before they actually mm-hmm. got a plan together. This same mm-hmm. NFL that had more time than anybody was just sitting there twiddling their thumbs thinking, oh, it'll go away. Basically. So that's my bad for the year. Uh, my good you, for the year. Let's see. I'll go. I'll go to White Howard for my good for the year. The White Howard mm-hmm. was pretty much uh, a guy that was considered going to be out of the league. He basically goes back to one of what, probably the lowest points in his career, playing for the Los Angeles Lakers in terms of the bad relationship he had with Kobe. He goes back there. He doesn't even get a guaranteed deal. And tells him, hey, I'll prove my worth. And what does he do? He proves his worth, and he wins a championship. And he comes out looking like a more mature guy in terms of, you know, how he handles himself, how he speaks, things he talks about. Sounds more responsible. So it was good to see him kind of return to L.A., rehab his image, and actually speak on things to talk about how he – um, with, saw a, uh, saw did therapy to work on himself as well mentally, so it was just great to see that story. I, I you know, I know he's not necessarily the greatest uh, person to to bring up in that because a lot of people still don't like him because how he's acted over his whole career. But you know, I, I got to give him, I got to give him uh, respect and respect still in that aspect. Well, I hope that's a maturity that you know the season is young that he brings to. To my Sixers uh, um, uh, uh, there, and it's interesting. You, you know, NFL is bragging about to your point, Michael, that they didn't, they didn't cancel any game. They postponed. That's Pittsburgh. That's Ravens. That's Cleveland, and all the they they postponed and different things. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Don't forget if you miss any part of this broadcast, go to our website. They, they didn't, they didn't cancel anything. That that's the biggest thing, and, and they they harp on that. And then to your 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 point about Dwight, I mean, that, you know, I'm I'm happy for him. You know, he's been through a lot, and you, you talk about the maturity thing. I think it's it's been it's been a long time coming for him to actually step up and uh, and we've been talking about maturity, so it, it's a, it's a good thing. Like I said, I hope he he does that um, uh, well in Philly. Tony, your your good and bad story of the year um, thus far. Uh-huh. Well, to me, the good story of the the activism of 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 why can I think of her name now? The uh, the the tennis the tennis star, um, Osaka. 
Oh, yeah. 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 I know. Yeah, exactly. But her and uh, Maya Moore, who basically took off a year of her playing career to free an innocent man. And oh, by the way, they they wound up getting that. Tony. Tony. Can I say one thing about that? Can people please stop killing her because her and that man got married? It doesn't change that she did a great thing. But go ahead, go ahead, but you, know, but you know, but see, it's but see, it speaks to um, the bad, to to my bad part because uh, just the whole just the whole negativity in regards to folks who were trying to make a difference. You know, the whole that whole mm-hmm. you know the shut up and dribble mentality uh, still exists, and Boring. it doesn't have to be an, an, an athlete. In in, 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 in in regard to that because you know, let's face let's let's face it, a lot of people um were were were, were in a sense sick of our of our humanity this year and it shows. Yeah. And and Tony to Tony to your 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 point uh and to 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 Mike's point, the dude was innocent. At the end of the day, if he married or not, the dude was innocent. He she he was innocent. It was proven he was innocent. So they didn't get married and she hated his guts or whatever the case. He was innocent. She helped them be free. That's it. It's, so it's, people again, need to get over it for themselves. To, it speaks it, it it just speaks to it, it speaks to where our society uh has gone. And 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 you know, it it just it just speaks to that. Right. Mm-hmm. And and oh by the way, I'm a UConn bias is I, I'm going to root for anything that Maya Moore does and, uh, from from UConn. Trevin, the same thing to you, and and you know it, it's been a lot of stories out there. Of course, COVID being uh, number one because it kind of uh, dictated everything. But the best and the worst in 2020 in terms of sports. Well, I mean the worst was, um, and I mean this in a positive way. Um, COVID actually became a mirror uh, for America, and Mm -hmm. that mirror showed America the cracks and the beauty that we have. And I love my country. I'm an American. I'm all for it, all right? But it showed us cracks. Some people didn't like those cracks. Um, And a lot of people like to look in the mirror and see nothing but pure beauty. But because of COVID, we as Americans looked in that mirror, and we did not see beauty. I say that to say this. When we looked in the mirror and we saw that there was cracks in society because of a pandemic that was taking place, which made us stop and look at the world as a whole, as opposed to just looking at self. Then coming through those cracks or coming through that mirror to take care of those cracks in our face were people saying enough is enough, not just black people, not just white people, talking about blacks, whites, Latinos, all types of people were saying Look, enough is enough and it's time to change. The good part about that is I have to say that the women of the WNBA were leaders before this took place and he took it to the next level mm-hmm. when the protests and the the calling people out and I say they took it to the next level because they remained this is an entire league that remained unified 
from day one with wearing names on the back of their T-shirts, wearing I Can't Breathe T-shirts, and they even wore T-shirts before that and T-shirts after that. Teams, whole teams. I'm not talking about these individuals. And then you had the commissioner standing behind them. The WNBA was just kudos because I think that through their activism and they're using their platform, they just took everything to the next level. Um, COVID is my negative because COVID just hurts us. And what hurts me to my heart is that I think that America saw that they put sports above life. That's ugly. You can't play if you can't, if you're not alive. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say to, to all of you, what, what you just said, I mean, I concur COVID, you know, negative in the tragedy. We, lost people. I've had people sick. I've lost people that, you know, that lost their lives. But COVID also brought people together. You know, I I know for me personally and my family and my being with my kids and stuff and having to bunker down and things of that nature. But I do agree with with you, Trevor, and is that, you know, there's some decisions that people made that the, the lines were drawn and and it it had some some serious consequences, and COVID just did everything. But also to your point, and to um, uh, Tony's and Mike's, is that it revealed something. It revealed the character of the women in the WNBA. It revealed the character of some who stood up in in the NBA in, in terms of sports. And people we've lost. I mean, rest in power. All the the black and beautiful, black and brown, beautiful men and women we've lost, right? So it's just been it's been really uh, a different. But um, you know, we it, you know life goes on, and 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 we we have to live life and continue to do what we do. We have ch- children and nieces and nephews and stuff like that, so we have to continue to do what we're going. to and I just wanted to, to take the time and say thank you to the three of you and your families and your friends, T-Mac. I know you specifically more um, and, and love you guys and appreciate what you're doing. You guys stay safe. Uh, a few hours at the time of this broadcast for the new year, I want to say Happy New Year to you and your families. You be safe. Talk with you on the other side. And thank you so, 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 so very much of what you've done for this program and, and for this audience in 2020, I really, I'm saying that from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate you. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. We thank you. What did you just say? Thank you, guys. We appreciate you. Uh, uh, Trevin A. Jones, the sports director of uh, Urban Media Today.com, co-owner and producer of uh, for Urban Media Today Radio, Mike Patton, SportsAwakening.com, the three-point conversion. Please do check out his work, their work, Nashville Voice, and my longtime friend and uh, uh, editor, one of the best editors, uh, the best editor I know, uh, Tony T. Mac McLean from BASN Newsroom. If you miss any part of this broadcast right now, go to our website right now and listen to previous shows and then the other show that this show will be broadcast at the Bachelor with a T, the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com. Enjoy. Happy New Year to you. Be blessed. Be safe. We'll talk with you in 2021. The first place I spoke in the original phonograph. <laughs>
Mary had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. things that never were, 
say why not. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. It's a free concert from now on. We must be in heaven, man! Four persons, including two women, were shot and killed in Ohio today. Hundreds of students were involved as national... There will be a killer and a...